Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 19 of the RF Generation Playcast. I'm Ghost 81 and these are your selections for October 2015. This month, we continue to play through tradition by choosing a pair of spooky-themed titles for the Halloween season. For the retro title, Rich and Steven will throw back all the way to the Sega Genesis and whip up some vampire-slaying action in Castlevania Bloodlines. On the modern side, Steven and I discuss the remake of the survival horror classic Resident Evil for the GameCube and its subsequent HD remaster for 8th generation consoles and the PC. As always, all plot and gameplay spoilers are fair game. Please remember to subscribe to us on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter where our handle is at RFGPlaycast. You can also listen to the show on Podbean and iTunes. Most importantly, don't forget to log on to RFGeneration.com to join our playthroughs and discuss the amazing games we play together. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. Welcome to a spooky edition of the Retro October Playcast. I'm your host, Single Banana, and with me this month is our good pal, Disposed Hero. Hey, how's it going, guys? All right. So, how's your month going so far, Steven? Uh, A little Halloween action coming in this month? Uh, You have any certain uh, Halloween rituals or anything you like to do as far as gaming or movies or anything like that? Yeah, I do try to have a few... uh halloween themed movie nights here and there um also i I mentioned on the forums a few times i do my annual survival horror a thon where i for really for the months of september and october i play uh, just some random survival horror games oh cool what have you been playing this month um i kicked it off with until dawn which it was i got that on release day i pre-ordered it which is very much like a uh Quantic Dream style game, uh, kind of mm-hmm. like kind of like Heavy Rain, but with the survival horror atmosphere. Right. And of course, I played Resident Evil for the playthrough, which you know everybody's going to get to hear about that in about an hour or so. So, right. Stay tuned for that. Okay. Uh, awesome. Yeah, I played RE4, which uh, also played um, Rule of Rose, which I know you picked up recently. I did. I did. I was going to mention that I did pick up Rule of Rose recently. Um, uh, it's been a game that you know, as far as you know, the price goes, as one that was kind of like uh, I don't I don't know if it's gonna be worth picking up. Um, I actually watched a playthrough, uh, uh, a bit of a playthrough. There's a girl um, that I'm friends with on Twitter uh, goes by uh, Cannot Be Tamed on uh, YouTube, and I watched uh, a few of her uh, playthrough videos, just the first few, and decided, hey, this looks like something that I would really be interested in. So. Uh, I ended up um, picking that game up. Um, I had some uh, extra cash. I'd saved up some money, <laughs> actually, before uh, Retro World Expo, which I went to in October. Um, and, um, you know, that was one of the um, the things I picked up with that. Uh, but, yeah, uh, speaking of Retro World Expo, um, 
that was October 3rd up in Connecticut. I flew up there. got to hang out with the guys from the Collector cast. I got to hang out with their good buddy Floyd and uh, Russ Lyman, uh, who's joined our show a few times. Uh, Isret and Adam, uh, or Bigman, as most of the people know on the website. And uh, also got to hang out with uh, Eric Escapade, who flew all the way from Germany uh, to attend the Retro World Expo. Uh, Eric uh, actually plays a lot of our playthroughs, so it was really nice to meet him and see some of the guys for the first time, you know? Yeah, I was looking at all the pictures and I watched the panel video and it kind of made me wish I, I went up there myself. I yeah. I was kind of going back and forth a, lo- a lot on when, whether I wanted to go or not, but uh, I ultimately decided I'd sit out. But uh, Yeah, next might, year, man. Might try to make it next year, yeah. Let's, yeah, we'll see. I actually flew into Atlanta, so uh, I was around your neck of the woods yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, you should definitely check it out next year. We, we all had a blast, and it was, it was a really fun time for all. Um, yeah, well, this month, um, my, my ritual, I've been doing it for, like, the last three years. I do, like, a horror movie marathon where I uh, screen a movie, like, once a week and ha- you know, usually invite friends over. And we've done um, The Gate. We did uh, Phantasm, the original. Um, we're doing The Invisible Man this week. And then we did something else that I can't really recall off the top of my head. So, uh, it, it, oh, we did Shocker. We had to do a Wes Craven film, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I actually watched the Wes Craven movie myself. I watched The Hills Have Eyes. Oh, really? The original then, yeah, right? Yeah, the original. I have not seen that, but I, I would really like to see it. I just I actually just picked up The Serpent and the Rainbow, so I'm interested to see to mm-hmm. see that one. <laughs> little Bill Pullman action. I don't know. <laughs> not not the best actor in the world, but uh, you know, hopefully hopefully the movies uh movies pretty good. So, um, if any of our listeners, if you're interested in any of the horror themed games or survival horror horror games that uh, Stephen was talking about, uh, please head over to the RF Generation uh, front page and check out some great uh, reviews. Of some of those games. Um, I know most of you will be listening to this uh, in November, but that's okay. You know, they'll still be up and you can scroll down and, and find them. So we've got some really great reviews up there. But anyway, all right, well, let's get into it. Um, we're going to talk about, again, uh, Castlevania Bloodlines, which was the game we played in October. Um, this is on the Sega Genesis and only on the Sega Genesis. Uh, well, I, I take that back. It is only on the Sega Genesis in the U.S., right? Uh, was it released on other consoles in other regions? I, I well, don't know. It was, it was released on the Mega Drive um, oh. in Japan and in <laughs> Europe. Yeah, same thing though, right? Sega Genesis <laughs> Mega Drive, you know. <laughs> well, mixed words. But um, in Japan, it was known as Vampire Killer. And in Europe and Australia, it was called Castlevania The New Generation. So uh, based on those titles, I think we probably got the coolest name, which is... Uh, pretty odd for us we usually get the uh, short end of the stick when it comes to uh naming and cool covers and things like that right yeah i think they thought the name bloodlines was too violent this game was actually pretty heavily censored in other regions it was it was not in japan but in europe and australia it was very censored um and that's we'll, we'll talk about some of those things in the game as well but you're absolutely right um and maybe we can do like a compare contrast and talk about some of those differences um, the game was released in all these regions in March of um, 1994, uh, of course, by Konami, um, uh, who developed and published the game. It uh, seems like uh, 
Konami was always known for, uh, you know, working with Nintendo, but I think Nintendo probably rubbed them the wrong way and, you know, uh, limiting the number of games that they could put out uh, on their system. And so Konami decided to uh, partner with Sega and actually put a Contra game and a Castlevania game on the Genesis, which, uh, you know, those are those are really big franchises for uh, Nintendo. So a little bit of a slap in the face there. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of the cool thing about these cross-platform Konami games from the 16-bit era is that the you know, the two different versions were always different. It wasn't like uh, a lot of mm-hmm. other game companies would put the same game. It was just a port. Um, right. Konami always did like a completely different game, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll go ahead and um, that's just a little bit about the game uh, history, and let's go ahead and talk about the participants this month. Uh, of course, um, Disposed Hero here played and actually finished the game, right? Yeah, finished it a few weeks ago. All right, awesome. Uh, Eric Escapade, our German friend, he's actually playing this month. Uh, Father Jack, uh, who is, I believe he's from um, uh, he's from Great Britain, somewhere in Great Britain, uh, one of our international members, is playing this month. Uh, Floyd is playing this month. Uh, Ikari Niku uh, played this month, and he has finished the game as well. Uh, Metal Fro is playing this month. Uh Russ Lyman is playing. Uh, Russ has been um, on the forums. I think he's fairly close to beating the game. I think he's cleared by this point at least four of the six stages. Uh, so he should be finishing by the end of this month. Uh, myself, I played it and actually finished the game uh, merely a few nights ago. And then uh, while Bill 52, or Bill as most of you know him from the Collector Cast, is actually playing with us this month. Uh, that is, if he has any time to play with a newborn. So, <laughs> uh, so guys, we really appreciate you participating with us and making it another great month of uh, retro playthrough. Um, before we get a little into the game and the story of the game, I just I I did want to take a minute to give a special thanks um, to one of our playthrough members, um, one of our playthrough members who you've probably heard that we we mentioned on our show some um, as a participant, Shaggy. Um, he plays a lot of our playthroughs when he has the system hooked up. I like to give him a lot of crap about that uh, <laughs> on the forums. <laughs> Super listed Shaggy. Yeah, I'm still going to give you uh, grief about that. But I do want to send a special thanks to him. Uh, he made a very generous donation to our podcast um, and um, to help us throughout the year as far as the cost of running it and uh, storage space. And so I definitely want to give him a, uh, a big thank you for that. It was very, very nice and generous of him. Of course, uh, you know, we don't expect such gifts, but um, we are very, very appreciative of that. Yes, much appreciated. Yeah, thank you. Um, all right, so back to Bloodlines. Um, the story is, as we all know, one, one of the cool things about Castlevania is that typically the main Castlevania games um, have like a really... Uh, a neat timeline. Now the games aren't linear, uh, of course. Some go backwards, some go forward, but they always seem to try to put the games in an overall narrative or in a timeline. Uh, this specific game, um, just to kind of give you an idea how it's set, um, in 1897, Quincy Morris, who was a Belmont family descendant, he destroyed Dracula. Uh, and I'm not sure which game that was. Do you know which game Quincy's in, by chance? Uh, know, I know, I know, know which, I know which novel he's in. Okay. 
It's, uh, it's, I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be Quincy Moore's from Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I'm going to get some grief for that, I'm sure. <laughs> right. I, I only knew that because I, um, I watched the recent uh, James and Mike you know, from AVGN, uh, oh, their, their okay. little playthrough of it, and they mentioned right. it. So. I watched that too, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't, didn't pick catch up it. on that. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I... I, I I have to say, I mean, I'm a, I was a literature major, and I've never read uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. I've watched a lot of the films, you know, the, mm-hmm. um, you know, the um, uh, the more recent one that was done, and then of course the you know classic Bela Lugosi and Nosferatu and those those films. I've I've seen all of them, but yeah, I, I, I did not recognize the name Quincy Morris when I first saw that. So, <laughs> dope. Anyway, so um, Dracula was destroyed in 1897. In June of 1914, at Sarajevo, the crown prince of Austria uh, was assassinated, and it was rumored that a strange, beautiful woman was involved. Uh, We find out in this story was Dracula's niece, Elizabeth Bartley. Uh, She basically appears uh, and conducts a, a ceremony to try and resurrect Dracula by and basically orchestrates the first world war so and this is some heavy stuff right here we are altering history by playing bloodlines <laughs> yeah that's i was kind of surprised when i started reading that uh, it, it's such an odd setting i mean yeah, yeah. the first world war is, is an odd setting for uh something that's so um gothic you know when you think like gothic and gothic literature you know you're thinking about you know the 17 and 1800s um and so um it's 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 very odd that it, that's set in this time, um, which the story takes place during the First World War, like we said, in 1917. Um, and John Morris, who's the descendant of the Belmonts and the Morris clan, is called upon to prevent Dracula's resurrection and is jo- also joined by Eric Lacard, who is the um, basically the wielder of the Alacard spear. And uh, actually, his girlfriend was turned into a vampire uh, during Elizabeth's summoning ritual. So that's kind of the story we get. Very neat, elaborate kind of historical fiction story um, that goes along with this game. How do you how do you feel about that? Do you buy into it? Does it work? It's uh it's a little far fetched. Uh the whole <laughs> World War War World War One was uh right. started just to resurrect Dracula. <laughs> I, I'm assuming a lot of that story was must have been in the manual because I don't think it's at it, they say right. a lot of that in the game. But, right. Uh, that, that's they say right. some of that stuff, but not all of right. it. Right. You don't get a lot from the intro. It's the, your yeah. typical Castlevania game, right? You just kind of get thrown into the mix. You're like, pretty much. And and who actually reads that stuff at the beginning? <laughs> just like the Castlevania game, you're just like, oh, as soon as the title screen comes up, you press start. You're like, okay, here we go. You know. Yeah. I mean, you know what you're getting with the Castlevania game. So, you know, um, it, it's just one of those things you're so familiar with. You're like, oh, I'm, you know, someone's going to try to resurrect Dracula. I'm going to go kill him. Yeah, it's that same premise. It's kind of like Mega Man, you know. It's always just go go beat Doctor Wily and always a robot right, masters. You, know? right. you don't need the the little prologue story thing. How did Doctor Wily get out of jail that quick? You know, <laughs> how did he get a galactic jail? Must have basically no, uh, you know, the sentencing must be horrible up there. It must be very corrupt for Doctor Wily to get out so much. So yeah, the story is far fetched in Bloodlines. It's it's kind of neat, though, you know, from a historical standpoint, you know, um, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was kind of neat, you know, that, to try to work in. I mean, at some point you have to work in the night, the 20th century, right? So, you know, what better way to do it than 
you know, throw in the, the world wars where, you know, so many people, um, you know, so many people perished and, um, you know, and, and that being sort of the, you know, the means of resurrecting these bodies and things like that um, from the First World War to uh, all of the evil, you know, surrounding that and the chaos is what is um, helping Dracula to be uh, resurrected. So yeah, kind of neat in a sense. It, I guess. It's a cool story, but it's a, like I said, it's a little it's a little out there. Yeah, cool That's, story, you know, bro. It's, we're talking about Dracula and everything, so, you know, it's fine. <laughs> right, exactly. And again, you know, you don't really think about that much. You, you know, think about that much. Um, Stephen, you want to tell us a little bit about sort of the gameplay um, with the story? Well, I mean, it's your typical uh, Castlevania game. You, it's a side-scroller, you know, some platforming elements. You're killing the undead with... Typically, you would use a whip, and John mm-hmm. Morse wields a whip. Um, of course, right. we said that Eric uh, has a spear. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, at the beginning of the game, you get to choose between these two characters, John right. Morse or Eric Lacard, and uh, we, they each have their different backstories. We kind of talked about that a little bit. Now, are there any other Castlevania games around this time that you actually got to choose characters? Um, I mean, I, I know there's there's a few games you get to pick up characters, like yeah. um, the third game. Right. Um, you get to pick up characters along the way and swap out. Um, and one of the things I didn't realize was that Rondo of Blood was actually released a year before this on the uh, um, um, the um, Turbo Graphics or the PC Engine. Okay, I wasn't sure its its release date, but yeah, I've, I was just uh, watching a, a very short part of the uh, some video of that, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it looks amazing actually. Oh, a lot better awesome. than, than Dracula X, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was released in '93, and this game was released in '94, so just a year before, um, which is which is bizarre because I mean I, f- I feel like I don't think of the PC Engine as being that old, uh, for for whatever reason. Um, and uh, you know graphically it's so it's so far superior to most of the um, you know the other systems, um, you know like the Genesis and the uh, Super Nintendo that uh, that you know it's. Um, it's hard to imagine that uh, this game, uh, this game came after it, but um, you yeah. know, still, that that's a game where you can like swap characters as well. You don't, you don't get to choose from the beginning, but mm-hmm. if you take a certain path within the game and you rescue um, this girl, um, who I believe is the younger version of, um, oh gosh, I can't I can't think of the girl's name in Symphony of the Night, the one that helps you out. Um, her name. Was that Maria? Maria, yes. I think it's a younger Maria that you rescue as a little girl, and you can actually play as her if you've rescued her. So, um, yeah, which is pretty cool. But, but yeah, like you said, um, you get to choose between these two characters. Um, These two characters have different abilities, actually, and there's there's a few that we, you know, a few that are fairly obvious from the beginning, and, and there was one that you actually picked up on. You remember what that was? You talked. To, I think you talked a little bit about one being maybe a little bit faster than the other. Yeah, I I did mention that, and I wasn't sure if I was right about that. No, you're actually right. It, that okay. is correct. Uh, yeah, I did a little bit of research um, when you mentioned that, so um, I was like, well, I think maybe he's right because I played. Um, well, first of all, who did you play through the game with? Uh, Eric. Eric. So did I. So did I. I. I you know, I, I know most people are probably going to criticize us for doing that. You know, John Morris being the, um, um, you know, the character with the whip, you know, the traditional Castlevania character. But, you know, I, I thought, you know, personally, I thought, well, no one's going to play with Eric, so that's why I'm going to play 
you know, going to play with him to try to give like, uh, you know, an opposite side to that. So we both played through with Eric, even though I think both of us did play some with John, right? Tried it out at least. And Yeah, I think when I first played the game, I, I started playing as John and I got a few levels in and um, then I basically restarted the game to play as Eric and I just decided that I liked playing as Eric a lot more. Yeah. So that's why I finished the game with as Eric. Yeah, they, they definitely have differing abilities. Um, one is um, Eric has the ability to vault, which is basically if you press down and wait like maybe like a second or two seconds, yeah. you can hit jump and that allows you to like kind of do a, um, a high thrust or vault up into the air, which allows you to reach higher platforms um, than, um, than John can reach. Um, while John has the whip and he has the ability to swing across like uh, chasms and things like that. Um, uh, and then as far as attacking goes, um, Eric has a straight up attack where he can attack as long as his feet are on the ground, he can throw his spear straight up in the air and attack from below. Whereas, um, whereas John has more like a, he can actually jump and attack and, and throw his whip, uh, up at an angle, uh, which can, you know, can, can be very beneficial in the game, but it, it's the whip doesn't go straight up. It goes like. Um, you know, diagonally at an angle. Yeah, and also Eric can attack diagonally as well. Um, mm-hmm. So he, it's just Eric always has like more directions he can attack in, pretty much. Yeah. But well, yeah. I mean, Eric Eric can attack in an angle, but you can't jump and attack in an angle. Right. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So so that is sort of a benefit, you know, especially when you have these bosses such as like the gargoyle and and uh, mm-hmm. uh, things like in the uh, uh, the butterfly, I believe that was called the uh, Princess of Moss. Uh, who was ended up like turns into the moth or whatever. I mean, enemies that are kind of higher up in the air, you can actually tag those, um, enemies that you may not be able to reach with Eric. Um, but, um, the two characters, like, like we were talking about, they do have differences and you'd mentioned that Eric's a little faster than John. He's a little, the weapon speeds a little bit quicker, but John actually has, um, is a little bit stronger and has a little bit better defense. So, you know, sort of a give or take, you know, making the characters kind of equal. I actually didn't know about that. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. That's pretty cool that they're, uh, they, they're, they're structured differently that way. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just not, it's not just a reskinning. Uh, yeah. There's actually some strategy involved in it, which is, which is nice. I mean, you know, being able to play as two different types of characters um, gives the game a little bit of replay value, you know, which is, yeah, which is exactly. pretty cool. Which is really cool. Which is pretty. Which is really nice because I feel like the game is pretty short. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more, but uh, later. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I was. I don't know about all the Castlevania games, but I was look, watching a little bit of a playthrough of uh, Super Castlevania Four, mm-hmm. and it was it's there's so many more levels and environments, and it's such a it's a much longer game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's good that this game, even though it's shorter, it does have that replay value. You can go back right. and play it with the other character, and uh, you can have a little bit different experience. Absolutely. Um, you know, this game is <laughs> very much, I mean, it's a, it's a shorter game, but it's very much kind of a, uh, a boss rush type game. I mean, there's, there's levels of platforming, but their levels of platforming are constantly interrupted by uh, boss and sub boss battles, uh, mm-hmm. which, which can be tough and tiring. So it seems to me like, you know, where, whereas most Castlevania games are you navigating like a lot of terrain and doing a lot of platforming. And then finally, getting to one boss and taking out that boss to finish the stage. This one has a lot to do with, you know, doing platforming, but, but at the same time, 
um, you know, staying alive, sustaining health, and learning, like, you know, the ins and outs of a lot of boss battles, uh, which, uh, uh, you know, I guess we'll, we'll talk about some of the bosses later and, uh, and everything, but, uh, yeah, a different type of game, but um, kind of refreshing to play something a little bit different, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, like I said, it's, it's, it's a little different, so it's nice to... Still, still very much a Castlevania game, but it feels a little Absolutely. different than the others, so it's pretty cool. Absolutely, I, I totally agree. Um, so you you get to choose between the two characters, and we mentioned the differences and everything. But one of the the cool things that this game does is it gives you some alternate routes within the game that like only Eric can access because of his high jump, and only John can access because of his whip and being able to throw that out and and swing from it at certain levels. Um, this really only happens like twice in the game. Um, I, I didn't play the full playthrough of John, but I did watch an entire playthrough. Wanted to watch somebody speed run the game, and um, you know, just just to see these like different routes that you can take. And you know, the game being so short, only six stages, but there again, there are only two places, and I think it's in the uh, Tower of Pisa and in Versailles. Um, where you can actually take a different route, you know, and, um, uh, you know, I I think that's a neat part of the game. I, I really wish the game would have maybe done a little more with that and explored it a little more. Um, uh, yeah, you know. it, it's cool that, I, you know, I, it's a really cool thing. I feel it was very underutilized because mm-hmm. it's just two, two sections, like you said, and they're very short sections. It's like one Absolutely. room. Um, and then, then they can, then the paths converge back to, you know, where they normally would be. Right. But yeah, so I feel like it was very underutilized. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it doesn't give it, I don't think it gives it enough to give it a lot of replay value in that yeah. sense. But I right. think where your replay value comes in is, is through the, um, attributes of the characters, which we talked about earlier. Right. Right. I agree. I, yeah. Okay. So, um, one of the things about the game that makes it a little tougher than some of the other Castlevania games, with with the majority of Castlevania games, you you basically have unlimited continues, um, from what I recall, um, and um, I I know that for sure the first Castlevania game has unlimited continues because I it probably took me like sixty <laughs> times to beat Dracula. Yeah, same uh, here. <laughs> the first time I fought Dracula until I actually learned that fight. Uh, thank goodness. Um, but this game has limited to continues, and and instead utilizes like a password system, um, which is good. But and something I think I mentioned on the forums is that when you put your password back in, your continues do not reset. You you leave off where um, when you come back in, you pick up where you left off. I guess is the best way to put it. Right. Yeah, you still have the number of same number of uh, lives and continues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, just kind of a little bit at a disadvantage, I think. Right, and because of that, I, I kind of the strategy I used in this game, which was, yeah, you know, I'll probably get criticized for this because I didn't, I didn't sit down and play the game all the way through. Um, what I would do is I would play a level and I would work at that level until I got it to where I didn't die, you know, um, and um, then I would write down the password. So. I would play these levels multiple times until I got it, you know, till I got the level really worked it and got it really down pat, which is kind of a cool thing. I'm, I'm really learning the game and playing it and being exposed to it a lot. 
But at the end, I would write down the password if I made it through without dying. And I continued that way until I got to the last level. And then when I got to the last level, I'm like, oh, I've got all these continues and stuff. You know, I've got them built up and everything, which made the the last level probably easier than than what most people had it. I know you said you got by on the skin of your teeth. Is that right? <laughs> well, I pretty much did the same thing you did in terms of right trying to beat the level without dying. So when I said... I beat the game by the skin of my teeth. I didn't really, I still had some continues and stuff left over. Oh, I kind of, right. I kind of okay. just meant in terms of my, my health bar. Sure. Really, sure. Your uh, health bar at the end there. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's that kind of thing, you know, like you said, you have limited continues, so you don't want to get to the last level and have like one life and you know, okay. not really be able to practice this age and have to replay the entire game just to get back <laughs> there. You know, so. <laughs> Yeah. That would be brutal because that yeah. last level, and we'll talk about it in a minute, but Man, that is like the, the supreme boss rush, if there ever was one. We'll, we'll count the number yeah. of bosses. Yeah. It's it's crazy. So, um, so yeah, um, we talked about the limited continues. There's an item crash feature. Are you familiar with that term? I I am, I, but I kind of forget. I know it was a mechanic used in, I want to say, Rondo of Blood. And maybe and maybe Symphony of the Night as well. Yeah, that's correct. It was it was used in both games, and probably I think probably first used in Rondo of Blood. It's um, it, it's basically like like you have you have the axe right, and you mm-hmm. can throw that large axe out. But did you ever like throw the axe? Like if you press the C button on the Genesis controller, you can throw the axe, and it would split into like three axes. I did. I discovered that mechanic, although kind of early on when I was playing, mm-hmm. playing, I discovered the item crash mechanic. But mm-hmm. I think when I was actually doing my like real playthrough of the game, when I actually beat it, I completely forgot about it. So right, I uh, I didn't really see a lot of the um, a lot of the uh, the benefit of it. Yeah, a lot of the different uh, versions for each weapon. Uh, there's you know each weapon does something different. So I didn't right. Really see what they all do, but I, I did kind of accidentally discover that um, pretty yeah. early on. And I think your um, I think your weapon, A, your weapon has to be powered all the way up, correct? And then B, you have to press C and up um, instead of like you would just use C to use your special weapon, which I thought was, was kind of, I you know, when I play a Castlevania game, I'm used to pressing like my attack button and up. But right, since yeah. um, you had the extra button on the Genesis controller, they just um, they just mapped it to the C button, which was which was kind of nice. I mean, it was hard to get used to for me, um, but um, just just being so used to playing it on Nintendo systems. Um, but th- but it was kind of nice having that um, um, having that third button for that. Um, and once I got used to it, uh, you know, it came second nature. But um, yeah, basically the item crash is like you you basically do the same. Th- you you press C, but you press up. And then it, it takes away more gems when you do it. It's a stronger attack. Um, you know, so there's um, definitely a benefit to being powered up in this game, I've noticed. Yeah, definitely. And this is a game where, I guess this is true of all Castlevania games, but I noticed it more here that when you die, it really puts you at a disadvantage. Right. Especially like before a boss fight, because a lot of times you would you couldn't get enough of those little emblems to power up your weapon all the way. Right. Um, so yeah, it was... Dying, dying was really frustrating in this game because, you know, you, you lost all those upgrades and all your gems and everything. And 
Yep, yep, and it made it made the fight that much harder. I mean, right. typically before you get to a boss, so you'll have like a little room or something where there'll be, you know, like, yeah. like a few gems and you know things like that. But you know, um, if you're throwing an axe or something like that, that's not going to get you. But maybe like one or two throws at most, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, it is it is difficult. It's like um, it's like it's almost like a, a quit to like playing a shmup. You know, like you're playing Gradius or something like that. You're all powered up, and then you die, and then you have to start out like uh, yes. in this, you know, with this tough level, you know, with with no power ups. Yeah, you know, struggle Just back to square one. Yeah, yeah. So, um, some really neat features that I that I really liked on this game is that like you can actually jump on the stairs. Um, you don't have to like start at the bottom and walk up the stairs, which I didn't figure out to about I don't know, probably nine tenths of the way through the game. But you can actually jump on them, um, which is a nice little addition uh, and, and makes sense. Um, and I don't know if you noticed this as well, but um, uh, did you notice the one versus two candles? Like, like you yeah. know, how, like all yeah. the Castlevania games have like like a um, like the candles on the wall. You hit those to get the items. Right. Um, if it had like a, like a single candle, then that was like a. Um, a sub weapon, you know, like your holy yeah. water, your boomerang, or what, or your axe, um, and then your if it had two, if it had two, like a split, like two candles, double candle, then that was basically just um, like you, like your gems. Um, yeah, I, I did notice that because if you get your weapon, your weapon powered up all the way to like level four, where you get mm-hmm. like the uh, the real special attack. The, right, uh, uh-huh. um, you know, like like the about. flame trident is what right, it's exactly, called, exactly. the flame whip. Yeah, um, a lot of times you wouldn't want to pick up a sub weapon, so you kind of had to learn to distinguish between the two. Um, mm-hmm. So you didn't want because you didn't want to pick up another sub weapon and lose that special attack that you right. gained from that uh, higher uh, upgrade. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, but I, I thought that was kind of a cool addition to the game. I mean, it's it, it's very subtle. It's a very subtle change, you know, from other Castlevania games. But but one that you're kind of like, oh, that's a, that's a brilliant idea. You know, that's that that's really something neat that they were kind of paying attention to. You know, so that the the player could, uh, you know, make that decision for themselves if they wanted to, uh, you know, um, you know, hit that candle and and possibly get a you know a new sub weapon. So. So I actually did like that. I thought that was pretty, pretty neat thing. Small, but you know, well done, well designed. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things we should actually mention about the gameplay is that this is like this is one of the first games in the series that doesn't take place exclusively in Dracula's castle. Um, and it's it's really odd that that most of the boards uh, take place. Uh, throughout Europe, and we'll, we'll talk about those. We'll get into the stages and everything, but um, I, I guess that's one thing that I didn't really catch on with the story is, like, why am I traveling to these different places, right? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, actually. Um, you know, you... I mean, I'm not really sure... Yeah, I don't know what the point of that was, because you don't... <laughs> unless you're just supposed to be chasing uh, the Jacula's niece... Right, and she's like always one step ahead of you. So by the time you get there, she's gone. Uh, I guess right. that's what's going on. But uh, yeah, it's 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 a little odd. Uh, yeah, it would have been kind of nice for them to maybe integrate that into the game, you know, um, you know, or or something like maybe you're supposed to go there and like help out a village or you know villagers or you know something like that, you know, in a specific area. But you just kind of feel like you're just playing these boards with um, 
you know, with no story in mind, you just kind of show up in different parts of Europe, which is, which is kind of bizarre considering, you know, um, most of the Castlevania games, besides probably Simon's Quest, um, you know, you're inside Dracula's castle, and you're going, you know, you're, you're um, navigating that to battle him. Although in Simon's Quest, I mean, you do have a purpose. You're collecting all the body parts, right? So there is a, a purpose for going to from castle to castle or place to place in that. Plus so. it makes uh, Dracula's castle feel much more insignificant in this game, like, whereas in the other games, like you said, the whole game was Dracula's castle, so it makes it makes the castle seem like just gigantic. Right. Um, as opposed right. to this game, it's it's you know a pretty short level. I mean, you know, you, you start at the beginning and you get to guess what was once Dracula's uh, you know little throne room or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And yep. it, it didn't take very long to get there in this game. Or, right. Right. So we'll talk about the areas. There are six stages, and of course, you just mentioned like the first stage is the ruins of Dracula's castle, which is in Romania. Uh, the second was the. Uh, the Atlas uh, Shrine, or I'm sorry, not Atlas, Atlantis <laughs> Shrine, <laughs> which is in Greece. Uh, I don't know what Greece has to do with Atlantis, but maybe someone uh, knows a little more about history than I do. Um, you've got the Leaning Tower of Pisa, which of course is in Italy. Uh, the Munitions Factory, which was in Germany. Uh, in Versailles Palace in France. And then finally, the um, the fictional castle uh, Prosperpina, Prosperpina, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, was in, uh, jolly old England. So, uh, you know, Dracula has, having to work on his, uh, Cockney accent. Uh, you know. <laughs> that, that'd be something to hear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the areas for a minute. Um, what are, what are your thoughts on the areas? Like, dislike, uh, you know, just, just in general. How did you feel like the areas were kind of flushed out? I mean, did they kind of really go with their titles or uh, any of them that seemed out of place? <laughs> um, not not in my opinion. I, I liked right. most of the levels for the most part. Um, you know, there was a lot of cool um, effects in uh, some of the levels in terms of like mm-hmm. the backgrounds and absolutely. Uh, of course, the Atlantis Shrine had the uh, water reflection effect, which was really cool. Oh, that's really awesome, man. There's some really nice stuff going on with this game with backgrounds. Uh, right. Uh, I'd, I'd played this game for the first time. My buddy brought it over a few months ago um, before we had decided on what our playthrough was going to be for October. And uh, I, I just remember, I mean, yeah, I mean, Ruins of Dracula's Castle, kind of standard fare, you know, being the first level. I was like, okay, it's just another Castlevania game. And then I got to that second level, um, the Atlantis Shrine. I was like, holy crap. I mean, this is this is beautiful. You know, just a, just a really beautiful, cool game. Um, it, the other thing that really stood out to me in that level was the, uh, the statues and how you would whip the statue heads and the, uh, uh, you know, the columns, and they would, mm-hmm. like, fall over and become, uh, you know, like bridges or areas to traverse. Yeah. I thought that was... That was really cool. I, yeah. I really wish they would have done a little more of that in the game. Um, but um, you know the the water rising and everything uh, mm-hmm. that was that was cool. I mean, yeah, it kind of makes the uh, the environment is like very much an obstacle in, in a lot of these levels, right? Uh, especially in that uh, Greece level, the uh, Atlantis mm-hmm. Shrine is right. Um, of course, you had the Leaning Tower of Pisa, which Yep. Had some strange effects, like mm-hmm. 
I think there's parts where the tower's kind of spinning for some reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's that, like, when you're outdoors and you're, like, climbing those pedestals kind of around it yeah. uh, to get up to fight the gargoyle. But then there's this, like, weird kind of psychedelic thing going on where you're, yeah, you know... Yeah, swaying back and forth. And <laughs> you're climbing to the top of it. Some really interesting Mode 7 going on. <laughs> it's really <laughs> weird, weird, weird uh, stuff. Uh, but, but again, just a really cool. I, I would say that probably... To me, those two levels probably stand out um, more than probably the other levels. The other levels are kind of um, standard fare sort of platforming, in my opinion, um, a lot like you know most classic Castlevania games, which which I'm not complaining about. I mean, it's really nice, you know. I mean, because I mean, who doesn't love Castlevania? But uh, yeah. but but it was cool to have something you know a little bit out of the ordinary in a Castlevania game. Uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just uh just 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 agreeing with you there. Um. <laughs> Although it was it was a little odd. The German area was a little odd uh, once again, you know, because you've got um, all the other levels feel a bit like supernatural, and this one seems a little too uh, uh, how would you say it? Too, a little too twentieth century, <laughs> would you say? <laughs> uh, maybe I I mean I, there was some talk about that on the forums about how this level feels out of place. Okay. Um, yeah. I I I, I kind of like this level. Okay. Um, it actually had the um, sort of a throwback to the older Castlevania games. I think with the whole like gear parts, where oh, you had to right. use the gears as platforms. Yeah, the clock tower. Right. Exactly. Kind of deal. Yep. Uh, yep. That was nice. Medusa's in the clock tower. Standard yeah, fare for yeah. Castlevania. Can't, can't have a Castlevania game without that. <laughs> That's true. And, and, and like you said, and like you kind of pointed out, I mean, one of the cool things about this game was that kind of classic Castlevania, like iconography, you know, that, that stuff that you get with like a lot of Castlevania games, like, you know, for instance, the, the first level, like going into the castle, I mean, you, you know, you're going through the hallway, the entrance in the hallway, and then, you know, like if you, it's funny, but when you get to that staircase, that leads down, you know, you're going down to, um, the bottom of the castle where there's water and you know there's mm-hmm. gonna be mermen down there um you know that's it's just it's just one of those things i mean you see it in symphony of the night um you see it in rondo um and, and you see it in this game and of course you know the original castlevania game as well and it's just kind of cool that um the castlevania does such a great job of uh you know sort of reimagining those things over and over again yeah it's always cool to have that little throwback to the first game and basically yeah. recreating the first level because it's if you play the first game and then you know it's 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 familiar and it's kind of you know it's it really kind of makes you feel like you're playing Castlevania right right and, and I think someone one time described it as uh, you know some games do this and it's like that sort of tutorial level you know something that's familiar that you know um, it, it's not difficult. It's very easy, you know, you've got those zombies that are coming at you and you're just going to, you know, whip those zombies and they're going to go down with one hit. You're going to grab some candles, you're going to grab uh, some gems, a few sub-weapons. You've got a little part where you climb up a set of stair, a set of steps, so you get used to that. You get used to going down some steps. Um, you know, you get used to a little bit of platform jumping down below with the merman. Um, so, so it is like sort of like a little, you know, without being a tutorial, um, it really is sort of the tutorial, right, to get the feel of the game and how this game's going to be, you know, and even though, like, you know, guys like us are very familiar with Castlevania games and, and how they play and work, 
um, you know, every game has its own feel, so it's kind of nice to be able to play that and sort of fill it out. Yeah, you mentioned this game having a different feel, and this game really does feel much different than mm-hmm. the other Castlevanias, in my opinion. It feels a little faster. Okay, like The gameplay yeah. feels a little more fast-paced. Um, sure, sure. There's no lag on the system at all, so nothing oh, yeah. that I really saw. I, th- I thought it ran really smoothly, and so, you know... Um, uh, I, I know sometimes with the um, you know Super Nintendo, there's you know some of the, there's some spots where there's a little bit of lag, but uh, yeah, I thought um, you know everything you know just runs really really smooth, and um, you know for that reason probably gives it a little bit faster pace than than a lot of the other games. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, you have to be able to move quickly because things are coming at you extremely quickly from different angles in the game. So, yeah, absolutely. Um. Let's see. Well, we were talking about the areas there. Um, so you were saying the German area is something that, uh, um, for you, you really liked about the game. What what was it that you liked about that level specifically? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I maybe it was because it was a little more grounded, like you said. It wasn't mm-hmm. like some supernatural level. And I guess after playing a couple levels like that, it was kind of nice to play a level that was. Uh, I don't know, seemed a little more grounded, a little more familiar. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I guess um, it might have been the enemies, too. I think I just like uh, uh, hitting the skeletons and watching them break apart into you know, <laughs> a couple dozen different pieces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Skeletons with uh, World War One helmets yeah. <laughs> breaking apart. <laughs> yeah throwing bones at you from behind chain fences and yeah yeah it's it's cool uh i i did like a few things i did like about the level i like the um the the giant like pistons you know i thought that was a really cool area that was really well done graphically um it it wasn't it wasn't that hard it wasn't very treacherous but at the same time it was really well done Mm -hmm. and i like the sub boss battle too I, i like you know that throwback man playing uh frankenstein which was uh you know getting to fight frankenstein which was cool Sort of wish he would have been the uh, the main boss instead of the main boss. We got that level, but uh, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. But well, speaking about bosses, we'll jump into that. Um, this game is, uh, like I said, I mean, it is one boss battle after the next. It has sub bosses, um, which I can't think of any Castlevania games uh, before this one that had sub bosses. Can you? I know Symphony of the Night has like smaller tiered sort of bosses in certain areas, uh, but um, I, I, I want to really... say maybe Super Castlevania Four had a couple, okay. but I'm okay. not entirely sure. Okay, because I think like on the second level, I think there was a Medusa boss that was a sort of a sub mini boss, okay, type thing, but. It may not, have had one or two more, but uh, it was it definitely wasn't every level. Not to this extent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I haven't. I hate to say it, I have not played Castlevania Four. It's one that the one oh, that I really want to play through. That's, um, that's my favorite. Yeah, and, and, and it and might I, be nostalgia talking because that's I played that a lot as a kid, but uh, uh, probably not. I've heard good things. I've heard it's in the, it's in the top of the Castlevania games. I mean, I, I've owned it for for a while, but 
you know, you have to be in that right mindset to play a Castlevania game, and I really like to play them around October, and mm-hmm. I've always sort of saved them, like, uh, I'd like to play it, but, you know, we've got the playthroughs going on, we've been doing this for a few years, like, surely we'll get to it at some point, so uh, maybe that'd be something cool for us to do next year, uh, to play that yeah, one. I'd, keep I'd our, be up for that. <laughs> yeah, keep our Castlevania streak alive, but with uh, next month being a uh, Super Nintendo game, I uh, just didn't want to do two in a row, so... Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, back to talking about the bosses. Um, I don't know. It's like I said. Um, first level, you um, you've got Cerebus, which is sort of like a a werewolf. Pretty cool fight there. And then you've got the the Mecha Knight. Um, the second level, you've got the sub boss, the Wizard, which is I guess it's sort of a sub boss, more sort of like a an area you have to pass, almost like a puzzle more than anything. Yeah, he doesn't actually even attack you. It just makes the water level rise. Right, and You have right. to kill him within a certain amount of time or you'll die from the from drowning. Because we all know that uh, water is the mortal enemy of a vampire hunter, not not Dracula. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> now I've just got that splash sound in my head from all the Castlevania games. <laughs> <laughs> vampire uh, hunters can't swim. That's, right, that's, exactly. That's what Castlevania's taught me. <laughs> Metroid can't crawl. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, in that second level, right after, right after that wizard, um, quote unquote battle, you, you fight the heavy armor with the mace and then the great axe armor. Um, and then, um, uh, you've got the rock golem at the end of the level. It's kind of a neat fight that, that yeah. one was. I, I, really I, I did that like that one. one. It's probably the easiest boss fight in the game, in my opinion. Oh, you think so? I don't know. I mean, it's, I felt, I thought it was pretty easy to avoid his attacks. Yeah. Um, yeah. I get hit by those rocks a few times. It's a long fight. Uh, it's kind of long because you have to like wear down his middle yeah. section. It's uh, right. You can actually hit him in the eye. But. That's right. But I, but I think like when you hit him in the eye, he come it comes down rather fast. Like you t- you're taking all four or five ticks every time you hit him. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when you finally get down, so they do give you that little bit of reprieve there for that. Or you can but, use the the axe uh, weapon and throw throw it hit him in the eye with that. Yeah, yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah, I did that a few times as well. Um, and then the third level, you've got like the, the bone dragon, which, you know, not a tough fight if you keep your distance and just mm-hmm. keep jumping and swinging. And then you got the gargoyle, which to me, ah, I thought that was the most aggravating battle in the game. I, I don't know. I, I could see why you would say that. I, I didn't think it was the most aggravating. We'll talk about that in, in a little bit. But well, uh, I guess because of the moving platform, like yeah, the kind that, of spinning that it, platform and then, yeah. You know, you, you have a very confined space with which to move, and the projectiles are coming at you. And the, I don't know. I just felt like the hitbox or something was kind of weird on that one. I don't know. Maybe yeah, it's just I me. could see that. It's like with most bosses in this game, I feel like this is one that this applies to. Is they, they would typically follow a very predictable pattern. Mm-hmm. So if you fought them a few times, you would probably have a, you'd have a pretty good idea of what they're going to do. So you can kind of you know, avoid their attack. So I kind of knew when he was going to start throwing those projectiles and I'd have to jump over them. And Right. Um, right. Yeah, this isn't one I had too much trouble with, but I could, I could see it being one of the more annoying ones for sure. Yeah. To me, it was just like, for this fight, it was just like spamming that vault. Just spamming Eric's vault. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, like, that's the thing about Eric's vault is that when you when you perform that move, like, you can't be damaged right. during yeah. the move. So you can just, like, vault right through projectiles. You know, or enemies, you know, that mm-hmm. might cause you damage when you hit them. So, um, so there was that. But yeah, to me, that was, for me, that was the most aggravating battle in the game. But you know, 
not not for you apparently, but we'll we'll get to that, and you can tell me which one it was when we yeah. get there. Uh, level four, we've got uh, the creature, not to be called Frankenstein, not to be called Frankenstein. This is Frankenstein's monster, which right. uh, again I thought that was a cool fight. And then you've got that gear steamer, which this is the one that I didn't like. <laughs> it's completely out of place. Yeah, it 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 it's, feels really silly. It makes a lot of silly sound effects, like a like a cartoon would make. Right, right. I, this, this is one I had a really hard time kind of getting its patterns down and trying to predict what it's going to do. Yeah. Uh, so I, this is one I, I probably had the most difficulty with. Oh, okay. okay. And I've heard that, I read this some, like on a YouTube comment somewhere, but I think um, some of the um, people who worked on this game later went on to uh, work at or form uh, a, a development company Treasure. Who oh, Gunstar yeah, Heroes? Because yes, so, yes. somebody made a comparison to this boss, mm-hmm. and said it looked like it's something from Gunstar Heroes, and uh, said you know because it's probably because some of the developers of this game later went on to work at Treasure. So hmm. that's probably where this boss came from. Oh, that's interesting. Very interesting. Yep. Very familiar with Treasure. Um. All right. And but yeah, I just again just felt like that was out of place. I feel like mm-hmm. you know. And and this is just me, but when I'm playing a Castlevania game, it's it's so funny because like I'm I'm such a big fan of like the the old like Universal horror films, mm-hmm. and so I'm always looking for like you know hey I got I need my Wolfman, you know I need my Frankenstein, um, you know and I need those sort of like kind of standard like horror movie uh, monsters uh, to kind of pop up in these games, you know. And so when you get something like uh, you know something not something is. I guess unnatural, you know, non-living is like a gear steamer. Um, I, I don't know. Just seemed a bit off to me. That that that's it. No, I, I agree completely. I yeah. Give me it, something it supernatural. Felt right? out of place. It felt out of place, and I, I, I it was annoying uh, to fight to actually fight it. So I, this is my least favorite boss in, in the yeah. game. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely say it's probably my least favorite boss um, as far as like its presence in the game, but not the one I had the most trouble with. Um, uh, level five, you have Talos, who's like the big, the armored giant, uh, fairly easy battle there. Um, you've got the silhouette demon, which was the, uh, like the, the faces, which was an Mm -hmm. odd, which was an odd battle, but yeah, not one that was overly difficult. Yeah, it's pretty easy. You just had to wait for that pillar thing to pop up and whatever it was and strike it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you had the, um, the the final battle, which was immediately after the silhouette demon faces, was the Princess of Moss, or um, as uh, as we saw, it's like the kind of the floating specter that turns into the giant moth, which mm-hmm. was a kind of a neat battle. I liked it. It was, yeah, I, I enjoyed that one. I didn't have much trouble with this one. So no, y- usually that's what translates to me liking the boss fight. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mostly just kind of dropped that that weird dust which would make you move in the opposite direction oh yeah yeah you get that from the flowers too in the yeah. uh uh versailles level i think that which, was level four was that level four level that five, was five. Four, five, five, five. Yep, yep which which i didn't mention that was probably my least favorite level in the game oh yeah uh, yeah uh, <laughs> yeah well yeah that that was irritating um i don't know the last one might have been a little more irritating to me uh, with the kind of the split screen. And yeah, stuff like I know. That. I, m- I mentioned that in the forum. Uh, I had a lot of frustration with it, but it, I feel like in hindsight, I find it a little endearing that they did something kind of different and 
Mm-hmm. It's a little clever, but it's really frustrating to actually play it. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um, that the level five, I hated those like um, those things that like swung from the trees. Yeah, they, the they were hard to yeah. get a hit on without getting hit yourself. Yeah, and then I'll like watch a walk through something, and then somebody yeah, just makes just, it look yeah. so easy. I'm like, yeah, I know. I've... <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, I'm not that powered up when I get there. <laughs> yeah, I know. People walk through the entire game having the, the you know, they're level four yeah, the flame. Uh, weapon yeah, yeah the, the flaming flame weapons, weapons. And, yeah. you know, I, if you get hit you lose that <laughs> it's not just if you die if you get hit you lose that level four it takes you back down to level three right um so it for us uh non-pros we can't make it through the game without getting hit so. yeah yeah um and then um level six um which was just a a boss gauntlet if you will uh mm. you had death first of all but death was composed of fighting him at the end, but you also had to revisit three bosses. Um, you had to revisit the gear steamer, which you love so much. I, I was like, <laughs> why couldn't they have just chosen a different one? You know, the, <laughs> right. the, the, the moth, I would have even preferred you know, uh, the, the, the Mecha Knight or right. anything. Yeah. Why does it have to be this one? <laughs> yep. Uh, the Rock Golem, uh, which was yeah. a little, they're, they're a little bit easier the second time around. They don't yeah, take they, as many I think, hits. Yeah, they take a little more damage when you hit them. And, yeah. Which, like I said, I found the Rock Golem to be pretty easy, so I was, right. I was glad that one was one that they chose to reuse. And then, of course, the Gargoyle. The Gargoyle, They yeah. put that in there despite me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they knew I would be playing it, you know, at the ripe age of 38. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then after you you defeat them, then you have to battle death, um, which is just like, well, first of all, when you get to death, it's like this like large, like, he's flying around with these tarot cards, which is just yeah. bizarre in itself. Uh, and three of them are the boss. Two of them are um, uh, like fireballs he throws at you. Two or three of them are fireballs he throws at you. And the other is a, uh, a meat fest. Right. Yeah, which I was surprised to see that because I think I actually watched a little bit of a walkthrough on this game and the people mm-hmm. playing it were playing on expert. And on expert, it doesn't give you the health. The, the oh, meat. really? He actually, he actually attacks you again. Oh, wow. The fireball at you. So wow. I was surprised when that happened, but I was. Uh, it was definitely uh, much appreciated. So yeah, yeah, that was kind of nice. Um, and then so that's and then after you defeat the three bosses that you revisit, you you have to fight death. Which is uh, a little bit of an aggravating battle. He's got this uh, thing where he throws his sigh and you have to dodge it twice because it comes back at you like a boomerang, but he's like sucking you in as well. So, yeah. That's um, tough. Which, but the nice thing is, I think if you make it through the tarot card part and then die at death himself, if you come back, you just have to fight death. You don't have to do the tarot. Again. That, that is correct. I can verify yeah. that. Yeah, because I, I did die. Yeah, that happened to me too, and I was really glad I didn't have to f- play through that whole sequence again. I know, I know. I was, I was so worried because I walked up the steps and I was like, ah, oh, I'm gonna have to do this again. I'm like, I just yeah. want to quit. I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna quit. And and I didn't quit, and I actually beat the game on that same, uh, um, uh, continue or whatever. So, yeah. so that that was nice. That that was a nice little thing that they did there, knowing that. You've got all these bosses to fight. So when you do that, you run into Elizabeth Bartley, uh, who summons Medusa. So that will be your fifth boss battle. Uh, Medusa is uh, it's not not a very difficult battle. Uh, yeah, it's um you can actually 
I found out that if you like crouch and just attack her while she's throwing mm-hmm. her projectiles, they'll actually just go right over you. They won't That's even right. hit you. Um, That's right. Yeah. And then and then other attacks are pretty easy to avoid. So yeah, she's she's pretty easy. Yeah, you're you're probably about an inch and a half away from her, and they'll like kind of move over you. And then mm-hmm. I guess I guess the the only kind of one you, that requires any timing to jump is the tail when she whips her tail out. Yeah. You? Yeah. Uh, but again, that's um, a little easier when you have uh, Eric Legrand. Right. When yeah. you have him, you can just uh, you can just vault at that point because you're already charged for your vault when you're crouching, so it makes it fairly easy. Puts you high up in the air and you can dodge it. Uh, but once you take out Medusa, um, you've got Elizabeth Bartley to contend with, uh, which is pretty much a um, a break, if you will. <laughs> it's very easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. <laughs> Yeah, it's a strange fight because she summons these orbs, they float around, and she'll kind of appear on either side of the screen, and she'll try to throw a fireball at you. You just have to hit her, duck under that fireball, and it's a pretty easy fight. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a reprieve until you get to Dracula, who, as, as we've... Um, as we've seen in other games, has different phases. You know, mm-hmm. you think you're done with Dracula. Oh, no, he's going to change into something different. You know, it's going to be... Uh, e- even in the first game, uh, you get that. And and there's an- another uh, throwback to the first game where you've got the whole thing where he appears and opens his cape and the fireballs yeah. come out and you have to whip him in the head, which is yeah. kind of nice. So um, the nice thing about this version is you can actually uh, destroy his projectiles if you hit them. I don't I don't think you could do that in the original. Uh, I... Th- I, can't I, I could be I think wrong. You might be able to, but you definitely, you definitely could not do the whole timing thing like you could in this one. You know, yeah. In the first one, you would basically vault over or jump over the the fireballs and hit him in the head while you, while you're jumping. That was a little, little bit different timing mechanism in that one. Yeah, I, I just know that th- this Dracula fight seemed a lot easier than a lot of the other Castlevania games. Sure, in my, in my opinion. Yeah, know. yeah. Maybe you felt differently, but no. Um, and. I, I didn't. Well, I mean, the easiest one probably is Simon's Quest because if you've oh. fighting, you've got the laurels. I mean, that's that's a yeah. cakewalk. Yeah. Um. But uh. But yeah. Um. It, it was one of the easier ones actually. Yeah. I, I beat him on my first try. But yeah. I, to be honest, uh, I definitely spammed uh Legrand's uh vault. You know, because you can't get hit. You know, um. he's throwing projectiles at you. I can just. You can just go right through them, and he he will end up floating over top of you. It's a slower battle, but you can yeah, still spam it. Yeah, I don't feel like I spammed it. I did use it to my advantage. Um, like there's a part, like his second form, he kind of turns into something that looks like death again. I'm not sure mm-hmm. what it's supposed that's, to be. That's right. Yeah. Um, he he's floating above you a lot, and he throws some projectiles, and you can just kind of vault right through the projectiles and hit him. And yep, um, it's you know, very very useful uh, mechanic in that uh, in that fight. Right. And you can use it to, in the, in the third fight, of course, he turns into the demon, which he, he does in the other games as well. Um, mm-hmm. And you can actually vault over the flames. You can vault right. through the projectiles. Um, and when he when he gets to his, his last, his third stage, I, I really didn't spam it when he got to the third stage of, the third stage of his third stage, <laughs> I guess you should say. Yeah, where he, he just kind of throws out the bones and hops around. Yeah. Um, and that's when it becomes like the uh, the second phase of the original Castlevania where he's the monster and he just kind of yeah. is on the ground and he's kind of hopping over you and you're kind of having to go underneath him in certain parts. So. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, not the uh, not the toughest Dracula battle. I, I completely agree. Which, um, it's it's kind of nice that they give you this huge boss rush and 
on the last level. And in general, I would say these bosses aren't that difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, especially when you compare them to other Castlevania games and even other bosses in this Castlevania game. Uh, right. It's 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 nice that they if they're gonna throw a ton of bosses at you, they didn't that they didn't make them super hard. Right. Right. Um, because it is quite a gauntlet. How many did we say? Uh, three, four, five, six, seven. So that's seven yeah. different bosses. And and then you think also Dracula's got three phases. Right. So <laughs> so it's really like nine, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you will. Um, so, but anyway, yeah. Um, I like the bosses. I, I like the um, you know overall. I, I like the bosses. I, I like the choices for enemies. Uh, and the fights were enjoyable as well. Um. Not the um, not the toughest boss fights. Uh, definitely had patterns that were pretty easy to pick up on, and um, you know, compared to other Castlevania games, I would say, um, you know, probably uh, medium difficulty. You know. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the graphics. We talked a little bit about the backgrounds and things and how those. Um, play into the game and a really nice looking game I thought um, I've heard I've heard people complain on forums about the graphics in this game that they weren't good I, I don't I don't really get that but I don't know yeah, what your I, thoughts are on that I agree I, I was actually you know I mentioned I was watching a little bit of a playthrough of uh, Super Castlevania 4 and that game came out in 91 this game came out in 94 but mm-hmm. uh, I, I definitely feel like the graphics were better in this game and I feel like a lot of people kind of say the opposite mm-hmm. um, yeah. like this game had really you know like a nice vibrant color scheme uh, yeah I thought um, so too yeah a lot, of, a lot of the Castlevania games are kind of they're kind of drab up here uh, which might be intentional since it's you know gothic setting and everything sure but uh, yeah I thought this game looked really nice uh, it's a good good sprite work uh, yeah I agree I agree everything's very distinct it looks mm-hmm. nice you know you know what you're fighting um, yeah, I, I thought it's a beautiful game. Um, I didn't have any problem with it, especially the, I don't, I don't know who's making these comments. Maybe they can't get past the first, uh, stage. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> Cause I mean, when you get into that second stage, you're kind of like, yeah. I, I just remember the first time I played it a few months ago, I was just like blown away. It's like, wow, this is incredible. It, it's um, Nintendo fanboys saying that. M- must be. Must be. <laughs> None of those guys here. <laughs> I'm kind of a Nintendo fanboy. Uh, just what I grew up on, and I've I've recently really like connected with my Genesis, like probably in the last six months, and mm-hmm. uh, just have just been really really enjoying that system. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm I'm happy to be a fan of both. I can say so. Um, one of the effects, and, and you had mentioned before, um, this game was censored um, when it uh, in Australia and uh, Europe. Um, there was a lot of censoring as far as the blood was concerned in this game. This game's very gory uh, compared to, um, um, you know, most of really what we had seen before. Though, uh, quite honestly, as, as I said, I'm really getting to my Genesis now. There are some, um, there's some fairly gory games on the Genesis. Um, yeah, like a Splatterhouse? Yeah. Um, what's the one? Doom Troopers is very gory. I don't know if you've played that. It's like a, a shooter. Um, and you know, uh, gosh, I, uh, techno cop, uh, is, is gory. There's, there's several very, very gory games on the system. And, uh, I was really surprised to see that, um, it was censored in Europe and Australia. 
but nonetheless, um, blood was kind of removed and uh, from the game, and the zombies were. I think the zombies in our game, what we got, they were pink, you know, more flesh colored, um, and so they even changed that uh, in the uh, uh, European and Australian versions and made them green to make them look more undead and unnatural and uh you know the title screen we get has the dripping blood on it which is so awesome mm -hmm. uh and i think some of that was changed to like water dripping like <laughs> in yeah. the other games um it, though there are several um there's several changes I, I can't really name them all but uh, I, I don't know if they changed this i know the zombies when you hit the zombies on the first level, they'll actually like split in half at the torso. Yes, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty gruesome looking. I, that I was, if I had to guess, I'd say that's that was probably censored, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, I don't know either. But one of the things I do remember that just popped in my head was, um, when Eric dies, his uh, trident spins around and like goes through his body. Yeah, they changed yeah. that as well. Yeah, I remember just, reading that somewhere. Yeah, which is just so bizarre as well. But um, yeah, I, I thought I, I love the gore in the game. Uh, I I just think it's really cool. I think it's kind of, you know, you're playing a, a basically it's a platformer, sure in itself, but it's also kind of a a horror horror title as well. So it's it's nice to see some of that, you know. And as a kid, you know, <laughs> playing that as a kid, I would have yeah. just been so pumped. Uh, you know, I, having to play uh, Mortal Kombat with sweat pouring off people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed. You probably did because you. I see harpies in your notes here. Yes. Sometimes yes. you could like decapitate the harpies. Yes. And they, they would still fly around. They'd still fly around and attack you. I know it was so great. Yeah. You just knock your heads off if you, uh, if if you hit them at the right time at the right moment. That was that was just a yeah. really nice touch. Yep. Yeah. That's why I put that in the notes, of course. <laughs> oh, well, we'll move right along and talk a little about the music and the sound effects in the game. Um, the music was uh, composed by Michiru Yamane, um, who actually also did the music for Symphony of the Night. Um, the main themes for each of the first levels um, of the three Nintendo Castlevania games, which were Vampire Killer, Bloody Tears, which I know you're a big fan of, and right. another one called The Beginning are accessible in the game, uh, actually with a code. And I think you brought this up on the forums, right? I did. Um, yeah, if you, um, at the uh, option screen, if you enter, uh, I'm glad, I'm actually glad you put it in here because I didn't remember. But if you set <laughs> the, uh, the BGM to 5 and the SE to 73, mm -hmm. um, it'll, when you get the fourth um, weapon upgrade power mm -hmm. up, Yep. It'll change the music to one of these three uh, right. themes, and I always loved it when it changed the Bloody Tears. Cause like I said, that's probably my favorite uh, yeah. video game theme of all time. That's from uh, that's from Simon's Quest, right? Uh, originally from Simon's Quest, but it's been right. in pretty much every Castlevania game since. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, it, it was I always loved it when it came on, but it usually didn't last that long because I'd end up taking a hit, and then the then it would go away. So yeah, uh, that kind of sucked, but yeah. And it's, it's, you know, what, what's neat about the game, too, is they're, um, you know, even though this is on the Genesis, they're using music from, you know, Nintendo games. And, and I know that those are special things that you can access, um, but, but also um, there's a track called Nothing to Lose, uh, which is the Castle Keep theme for the um, um, Nintendo, the first Castlevania. Um, and it's, um, it's played the final part of the first stage, 
And then there's Theme of Simon, which is from Super Castlevania 4, actually, uh, that plays after you defeat Elizabeth and before you uh, battle Dracula. So, it, you know, it, it's bizarre that, like, they're, you know, they're choosing to, you know, you think maybe they want to go out on their own as far as, like, using music and they don't want to reuse music, you know, for these games. But it, I think it says a lot about the developers in that, what they want to do is they want to make these games like one kind of cohesive thing instead of like trying to make this game stand on its own, you know, on the Genesis system, right? Yeah, and uh, you mentioned the uh, theme of Simon. Uh, actually, I definitely recognized it when it came on in, the, in this game, and I actually think I like this this mix of it uh, better in this game than in the uh, in, in the original game, Super Castlevania Four. Yeah, uh, which you know it's. Uh, I never thought that much of it in Super Castlevania 4, but when it came on in this game, I thought it sounded really cool. So. Yeah, yeah. There's there's something about the Genesis, and I know my buddy Cameron joined us um, for the Golden Axe episode, and we were talking about the Genesis, and he was he was just mentioning how that the Genesis has this like really like kind of really neat sound that mm-hmm. a lot of the other systems don't have. It's really kind of scratchy and kind of rough and really kind of screechy, kind of electronic. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I know some people are like, well, the music's better than these things, but I really love the music on the Genesis. I mean, it's it, it's very distinctive, and um, you know, people are, you know, can just do different things with it, you know, because of the sound chip, and it it's really cool. I really like it. Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess it's kind of hit and miss. I guess it really just depends on who's composing it and on how and how they utilize the Genesis uh, sound chip. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, I, thought, I thought the soundtrack was really good in this game. Yeah, I uh, did too. And I thought the sound effects were nice in the game as well. I mean, you know, like hitting enemies sounded good, you know, whipping or, mm-hmm. you know, swinging a weapon or, you know, grabbing an item or, um, you know, all of that stuff just, just sounded really natural and it, and it had that really nice sound and feel like a, a Castlevania game as I played it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, anyway, well... I think we covered most of everything. I think one of the things I did want to mention is something we talked about um, last year. Of course, we played Symphony of the Night, and um, I mentioned this whole idea of uh, the Bishonen uh, features. And what that is is when they would take like a male character and give them um, very sort of feminine qualities or kind of a feminine appearance, which was something that was, um, you know, sort of especially in Japan was really big. Um, if you've ever seen the cover of the um, the Japanese release, um, you'll you'll notice that there's uh, quite a difference in the cover and the way Eric looks. Eric's a very um, sort of an effeminate looking character, um, and um, it, it's something that they actually toned down uh, for the uh, the North American release of this game, which I, I thought I would mention that. Yeah, I've seen a comparison picture but i don't quite remember off the top of my head what it looks like yeah um, i mean you still get that in this game with the sprite you know the mm-hmm. long hair and such but you know i mean graphically um you, what you really you really got that in symphony of the night just because um you know graphically it was it was more advanced and you know they were able to you know make the sprite uh, a lot more human-like uh but uh you know as far as what I, kind of what I'm talking about is mainly in the you know the art packaging of the game, so um, was where was where most of that changed I think. But um, anyway, um, just uh, I guess that 
that about kind of wraps it up. So we'll just kind of do some final thoughts. And um, I just wanted to talk about a little bit about um, one of the main things was, um, do you think that this game fits nicely into the Castlevania franchise, even though it's a Sega game? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned on the forum that I would consider this game as being kind of up there with the original Castlevania and Super mm-hmm. Castlevania 4, which I've always considered to be my, my two favorites in the series. I mean, I would right. put this right alongside them in terms of the, the quality of the game. And it, it has its differences, you know, you can, you know, the character selection at the beginning and, um, you know, there's some other things here and there, but I think at its core, it still is a, a Castlevania game. It's kind of the same, the same formula. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I would gladly put this alongside the others as being a, a good Castlevania game. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think it fits in very nicely. I think, you know, the, the time period for which it's set uh, makes it distinctly different and, and gives it a, a very different feel as opposed to you know, what we talked about with the more gothic Castlevania games. Um, but I think it fits really nicely into the series. I, I really like how Konami decided... You know, even though they're making it for the Sega, they're not going to make something that stands on its own. You know, they're going to make something that's going to be a part of this, um, you know, world uh, they've mm-hmm. created and, and, and fits into that timeline. And so for that reason specifically, and I, I that that's really why I feel like, you know, you have to treat it just like a Castlevania game um, as any other. And I think it's, for years, I mean, I probably didn't know until I started collecting that there was even a Castlevania game on the Genesis. You know, I, I just, I didn't grow up with the Genesis, wasn't around them. And so, you know, knowing that there was a Contra or even a Castlevania game on the Genesis was foreign to me. Yeah, I don't, I don't know when I found out about that. I, I may have known about it. I don't feel like I played this game as a kid. Um, I'm pretty sure I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know when I was aware that there was a Castlevania game, although I, I don't remember thinking it was surprising i don't know maybe i just didn't uh didn't really think about castlevania being exclusively like a nintendo franchise mm-hmm. um so like, like a lot of people might um but uh yeah i mean it's it's it, like, like like i said at the beginning of the show it's uh konami did cool things with uh their kind of cross-platform titles and that they were very different games instead mm-hmm. of just being straight ports and uh i think it's Instead of getting just a port of Super Castlevania 4 or Dracula X, we got an entirely different game, and I think that's really cool. Yeah. Would you would you consider this as one of probably the top 10 games on the Genesis that you've played? Oh, man, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I definitely think it's one of the... I, I, th- I think it's a very good game. I just don't... Right. It's hard for me to, yeah. to think off the top of my head, would it be in my top 10... Because there's a lot of great Genesis games. I mean, you got your Shiny Force games, which we we played Shiny oh, Force a few months yeah. back, and that's <laughs> yeah. that's a great game. And right, right. Um, I yeah, mean, it, it's it's a possibility. I, I just can't really say without you know yeah. getting all the games together and looking at them. But uh, sure, it, sure, it's it's definitely a contender. I would say. Absolutely. I mean, that I probably should have asked you that before the show. I probably should have said, hey, I'm going to ask you this question. Why don't you like, get a pen, pen and paper out and figure this out, you know, make your list. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, again, you know, I, I've you know only been playing my Genesis for the last few years and recently really gotten into it. So I can't really compare it to the Genesis library. Um, but from what I've played, I would say it's either in the top 10 or it's right 
on the periphery, you know, mm-hmm. right I mean, it's outside. A, it's a game you would definitely have to consider. Sure. Um, and when you're when you're if you're gonna make a top ten list and you're gonna just grab a bunch of games off your shelf, say these are good games, these are the games that I'm considering to rank in my top ten. Yeah. It would be in that group at least. Yeah. Or if someone was like, hey. I, which we have on the website quite often. I think we had someone the other day post something about Neo Geo Pocket. Hey, which games do I need to get for this system? If someone would post, hey, I'm, I just got a Sega Genesis. What do you think I should get? Yeah, I mean, this would probably fall into one of my recommendations. You know, if you know, mm-hmm. if, if I knew the person had the um, the means to um, um, you know to purchase a game because it, it is getting up there as far as price. Yeah, not, not, not the cheapest game. No, no, I it's, think it's it, not the most expensive either. But. Yeah, complete in box, probably run around seventy-five to eighty bucks, maybe. Yeah, um, you know, uh, but uh, but yeah, I would probably this is one I would probably throw in. I would say, hey, if you find this, you know, you'd want to pick it up. If you like Castlevania, you're gonna like this, right? Mm-hmm, so, sure. Yeah, that's how I would probably say. It. All right, um, and something else, um, just before we go, I want to mention is that there was actually a sequel to this game on the DS. Uh, I didn't realize that it was a sequel, but uh, Castlevania: Portrait of Ruin. Uh, which was mentioned by one of our site members, Addicted, um, is actually um, a, a sequel to this game. And so knowing that now, it's going to be something I'm going to be on the search for. I think it runs yeah. about 15 to 20 bucks for that game. So I, uh, I'm pretty pretty sure I own that one. Um, I've, ha- I've never played it, although if it's a DS Castlevania title, it's probably one of the metroidvania styled ones, not uh, not your yeah. traditional classic uh, side-scroller type. Right, but, uh, right, yeah. But, yeah. you know, no, nothing wrong with that. Those are great no. games, too. No, yeah, I know most on the um, um, uh, Game Boy Advance, most of those are sort of Metroidvania-type mm-hmm, games right. as well. So, all right. Well, thanks a lot, Stephen. Um, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Glad you played with me this month. I had a lot of fun. And uh, really fit into the um, really fit into the month well. Um, next month we're going to be playing on the retro side for November. We're going to be playing Secret of Evermore on the Super Nintendo, a nice little uh, RPG that I'm really looking forward to. You gonna be playing that with us by chance? Yeah, this is a game that cool. you know I played Secret of Mana. Mm-hmm. I had that as a kid, and I played it a lot, and I beat it. And mm-hmm. I think I tried to play Secret of Evermore. I think I rented it once when I was a kid, and I kind of didn't get into it. So it's mm-hmm. one I've always wanted to revisit. I've heard good things about it, so I'm yeah. looking forward to this one. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, with with the games. And I don't get don't get too far into it, but um, the game title was originally just supposed to be called Evermore, but they changed it to Secret of Evermore. Secret of Mana and Secret of Evermore have nothing to do with each other, and I think. When Evermore came out after Mana, people were really disappointed because it wasn't the same type of game. You know, they they have some similarities as far as the menu system, but I think I think there was a lot of disappointment when it came out and, and kind of gave the game a bit of a bad rap. Now I don't know, I haven't played it yet, so um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that um, to decide next month when we talk about it. But also want to mention that. Um, December, we are doing a, we're combining Retro and Modern Side, we're doing a run and gun uh, competition. We've got a sweet trophy that I'm in the process of building right now. Should be a lot of fun. So uh, if you're not on RF Generation, please join free site, uh, join our playthroughs, log in your collection for free, and play some run and gun games with us. Right, Steven? Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, playing, playing some classic stuff here. So, uh, yeah. Can, you know, Sign up, play with us, maybe win a trophy. That's right. We're playing, uh, let's see, we're playing Contra, we're playing Rolling Thunder 2, 
and Metal Gear, uh, Metal Gear, Metal Slug Three. <laughs> Wait, Metal no. Gear Solid Three. No, Metal Slug Three. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again, Stephen. Really appreciate it, and uh, thanks to all who are listening, and uh, thanks for joining us this month. Welcome to the modern segment of the RF Generation Playcast for October 2015. I am Disposed Hero, and joining me is my co-host for this month, Ghost 81 What's up, everybody? So, for our playthrough this month, I played Resident Evil. Not sure what everybody else was playing, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe Castlevania. I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we got some people um, playing Castlevania, which... I, I, I was playing Fallout New Vegas. Okay, <laughs> so. there you go. <laughs> Um, yeah, we, you know, the modern, modern side's been taking some hits lately, taking some lumps, uh, and that's fair. Again, I've said it a million times. It's a retro video gaming collecting centered website mm-hmm. is com. Does that give me an excuse for not playing <laughs> Resident Evil? Uh, not really. Cause I'm your co-host here, but we, we have a policy of, uh, you know, the host absolutely has to play the game. The co-host can cheat and uh do a little youtubing and i kind of i kind of took the uh i I took that route this time and we'll kind of get into why i did that and um i don't want to waste too much time on it but steven the the good thing here is that you're an expert on this game and i know you've played through it multiple times throughout your life and since it's come out so yeah this is your segment to run with and i'm just going to kind of pick your brain about the game because i'm i'm familiar with a lot of it just by doing my research and i have done some playing of it but i never got through the whole thing so uh it's it's the uh disposed hero show at this point <laughs> so uh why don't you just tell us a little bit about your selection and why you love the game so much yeah well I chose Resident Evil for our October playthrough because, you know, it's it's October, it's Halloween time, you want to play spooky, scary games, and Resident Evil's kind of the seminal survival horror game. Um, I felt like, what better game to play than, you know, Resident Evil? And I felt like the timing was, was good as well because the, the recent HD remaster uh, just came out early this year, so... You know, I I I thought it would be a good pick, and you know, I enjoyed my time, of course. But uh, you know, it was it's a very slow month for for Resident Evil. Um, right. I guess just to get into talking about uh the game, its its history. Um, 
the original PlayStation release was developed and published by Capcom and released in 1996, and it was ported to some other systems like the Saturn and maybe the PC. Um, the remake, which is specifically the version we played this month, um, the uh, the remake version was released in 2002 on the GameCube, and of course, like I said, it had the recent HD remaster on modern systems. And uh, this game, from what I've heard, is largely inspired by Sweet Home and Alone in the Dark. Um, I don't know, Sean, are you familiar with either of these games? You know, I've watched some really good uh, long-form analysis videos of uh, Sweet Home. It, there, there was a time, actually, uh, Single Banana Rich was, was had a repro copy of it, and I almost grabbed it from him. I haven't had a chance to play it. It looks... Uh, it looks a little tough, and I probably would avoid that game for the same reasons that I kind of, you know, avoided Resident Evil. Um, but yeah, it, it, I can definitely see the uh, the influence there, and also with Alone in the Dark, which that one, also I have never played, but seen enough of to understand what's going on there. Yeah, I've played both games briefly over the years, and for anybody who doesn't know, Sweet Home is a um, Japan exclusive Famicom game that was released in 1989, I believe. And it's actually more of a turn-based RPG than anything else, which is kind of surprising Yeah, um, to know that Resident Evil was, has, was inspired uh, by that game. I believe it was also made uh, by Capcom. Um, yeah, you're right. But yeah, it kind of has like a group of people exploring a mansion kind of thing, similar to Resident Evil. Um, they each have their own kind of special, unique attributes. So like, I think one character has like a lighter that he can use to illuminate dark areas. And another character has a vacuum cleaner, uh, which uh, I think they use like vacuum up broken glass so you can actually cross over uh, those areas. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's uh, I think Resident Evil was originally intended to be sort of a remake or a reimagining of Sweet Home. Um, right. But looking at Resident Evil, it definitely bears more similarities to Alone in the Dark, which was a PC game released in 1992. And in my opinion, Alone in the Dark is probably the first true survival horror game, at least, you know, in the same style as, as Resident Evil. Um, a, lot of, a lot of similar gameplay mechanics. It has the fixed camera angles, pre-rendered backgrounds. From what I've seen of the gameplay, I was just watching some a little bit ago, but it looks like it has the tank controls as well. Um, you know, finding items and keys and using them to unlock new areas. Um, so it's pretty obvious that Resident Evil is heavily inspired by Alone in the Dark. But, uh, but just to actually talk about Resident Evil now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not to get too off topic here. So the story of Resident Evil uh, kicks off with... Um, it's July 24th, 1998, and there's been a series of bizarre murders um, occurring on the outskirts of Raccoon City. The Raccoon City Police Department Star's Bravo Team is sent in to investigate the murders, but once contact is lost with Bravo Team, Alpha Team is sent in to investigate their disappearance. Alpha Team finds Bravo Team's helicopter crashed in this uh, wooded area on the outskirts of town, but shortly after they're attacked by a group of sort of like nasty mutated dogs. Right. Uh, your the Alpha Team's helicopter pilot, whose name is Brad Vickers, he makes an appearance in some of the later games. 
uh, he he sort of panics and he flies off by himself. He's kind of stranding the team there. So they're forced to seek refuge in a nearby mansion, which is where the game kicks off. That all happens in the uh, brilliantly acted and directed cutscene um, at the start of the game. Especially, especially if you're playing, especially if you're watching the live action version. (laughs) Right. I was, I was wondering which you were referring to at that point. Uh, Do you have a preference? I mean, the new one is, is awesome, but the the old one is awesomely bad, of course. Yeah. I kind of like, I I like the old one just because it's, it's, it's funny to watch. It's, it's entertaining in that way. And and that it's so bad. It's good kind of way. Absolutely. It's definitely a a product of its time and, and the production. I mean, there's, there's some interesting history to how that all got just kind of slapped together. Uh, yeah. But yeah, those those it live was, action FMV yeah. scenes. It was yeah. uh put together very quickly and like I'm pretty sure that the quote unquote actors in that scene were not actually actors. Like I've heard that the girl who was played Jill was just some random high school student they, they found right. <laughs> you know. So uh yeah, their their reactions in that cutscene are always always entertaining to watch. And and the, the remake version is better. It's still still a little cheesy, but uh it's it's definitely the dialogue is better written and it's a little little better acted and uh, make, makes a little more sense. Um, so there's not a whole lot to talk about in with the story of this game. It's uh, basically the um, gist of it is once you're in this mansion, you just explore the mansion and initially you don't have a clue what's going on. You think you're just taking refuge from these dogs and you're in this mansion but along the way you find out that uh the mansion is just a front for a pharmaceutical company named umbrella they're conducting all these um experiments on people and animals trying to make biological weapons out of them and pretty much you just at the end of the game you just blow up the mansion uh, this self-destruct sequence activates and the mansion blows up and you escape and that's that's most of the story really um, you do most of the story, like, like the finer details are told through journal entries, which you find scattered all throughout the mansion. Um, you kind of see some of the experiments that Umbrella was doing on people. Um, you, there, um, you kind of get some insight from the people who were living there and working there. Um, and I find that this we've talked about some games like this before that use like journal entries or audio logs to sort of tell a lot of the story. Right. I think System Shock Two was one that we played about a year ago. Yeah, and uh, Space is, Marine. Yeah, exactly, Space Marine. Yep. Yeah, so you know it's a uh, kind of an interesting way to, you know, if you go out and look for these things, you can really kind of add to the the story element of the game. Now, I wonder if if there's two two of the finer points of of at least the Jill campaign is that um, you're with Barry and mm-hmm. that uh, you know Wesker is kind of a double agent for Umbrella right. and that he's kind of extorting Barry. Um, mm-hmm. Being more familiar with the Jill campaign, how how different is the story in the Chris Redfield ca- campaign? Because you actually start with you actually start with Wesker and Jill and Barry's missing. Am I correct? Yes. Um, okay. And then, so when you return back to the main hall, everybody's gone. Um, oh, okay. So then from there, it just kind of is the same thing. 
Um, more or less, like, at the end of the game, depending on who you choose, like, if you play as Jill, um, you have the opportunity to actually save Chris, who's been sort of locked in this cell at the end, and you find him at the end of the game, you can save him. Right. And it's the same if you're playing as Chris, you can save Jill. And I think, I think the implication is that when Chris went off on his own at the beginning, uh, Wesker sort of kidnapped Jill and locked her away. Um, okay. So yeah, when you play as Jill, Barry pops up um, quite a few times throughout the game to sort of help help Jill out and to deliver some very clever one-liners. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, when you play as Chris. Wesker actually shows up in in a lot of the same places. Um, and this is before it's kind of revealed revealed that he's a, a double agent working for Umbrella. And uh, you also have, there's another character who pops up in Chris's campaign named uh, Rebecca Chambers. Who's, uh, she's, she's actually briefly playable if there's a boss fight with a giant snake and if Chris gets poisoned by that snake she'll actually be briefly playable for you know, when she tries to go and get the antidote to heal the poison oh that's cool I didn't realize that yeah and so she kind of pops up as well in, in a, quite a few places and Rebecca Chambers is uh, she was like the main character in Resident Evil Zero right uh, I don't think she's really been in any other Resident Evils I don't think um, yeah possibly the the Wii light gun games, I think. Probably, I yeah, because I know I know part of that, that game part of that game takes place on the train, which is where Resident right. Evil Zero is set. So she's probably in that. But as far as like the main line, uh, the main Resident Evil games, I don't think she's made another appearance. Um. So yeah, we kind of covered it quite a bit. But our characters in the game, we the your main playable characters are the stars members Chris Redfield and Jill Valentine. Um, you also have Barry Burton and Rebecca Chambers, who are more of your assist characters in the game. Right. And then we have Wesker, who's our, he's the captain of stars and he's a double agent actually working for Umbrella. His, I think his motivation was he was supposed to lure stars into the mansion to sort of be a field test for all the mutants that Umbrella created to see if they were formidable enough to kind of stand up to the opposition. Um... Of course, Wesker pops up in a lot of the later games, uh, especially, uh, I think he was a villain in Code Veronica and then uh, especially Resident Evil 5. Yeah, he's definitely one of the the ultimate yeah. bad guys in the series. Yeah, I so. think if you think of one single person who could be considered the villain of the Resident Evil series as a whole, you'd have to go with Wesker. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think he's the only person who kind of pops up in multiple games. So, I guess we'll get into a little bit about the um, presentation of the game. Of course, the uh, graphics, we're, we're talking mainly about the uh, the GameCube and, of course, the subsequent HD remaster. But uh, the graphics, you know, for a game that was released in 2002 are still hold up pretty well, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I, I fired it up this morning, and, and I had played uh, a little bit of the PS1 version a couple days ago, um, and to say they upgraded the graphics is a, a massive understatement. Mm-hmm. This, this this is what, um, you know, this, this is widely known as, like, what a remake of a video game should be. It was, you know, completely re- rebuilt from the ground up, and... Um, 
yeah, the, the, the backgrounds look really, it's pre-rendered like 3d backgrounds, but they look really good. Um, and the character models are great. Like I, I know Jill just looks like strikingly beautiful to me actually yeah. when, I, <laughs> when I see her. And, uh, I, I watch a lot of footage of the, I, I don't have the HD remaster, but I've seen a, some, some good footage of it and it looks really good. Uh, it holds up. Yeah. I think that's the, uh, when when the PlayStation version first came out, they used pre-rendered backgrounds as it was like a hardware limitation. But thankfully, they decided to go that route with their the remake, and that just meant they had a lot more processing power to use on the character models and the the 3D assets in the game. Um, so we also have music and sound effects and um. I personally like the music in the game. I think there's a lot of creepy little soundtracks that add to the atmosphere. Um, sound effects, I think, are well done as well. There's a light. I think I've heard that there's um, a lot of different, like like dozens of different sound effects um, just for the, the footsteps alone. Because, you know, there's parts where you're walking over wooden floors and they're creaking and making all these sounds. And then there's like like stone floors that make sounds and I don't know I always I always thought those type of sound effects were really well done in this game and I just I almost I just it sounds it's gonna sound weird but I just like walking and hearing the the footsteps in the game just because I think they're so well done yeah no that's not weird that's actually I I agree with you completely that kind of thing adds to the immersion mm-hmm. like so much um kind of uh you know, we talked about Metal Gear Solid last month. The, the same kind of thing when you were like splashing through water, you would know it by the mm-hmm. sound of your footsteps. And uh, yeah, that's 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 going on here. And it's really it it adds. It's just a, a level of detail in the sound that you can really appreciate if you take a time, take a minute to think about it. Mm-hmm. And last and possibly least, we have the voice acting. Right. Which it has improved over <laughs> the pl- original PlayStation version. Um, I would still say it's probably not great, but uh, when you compare it to the original PlayStation release, it's like Oscar worthy. Um, yeah, this was something that to me, uh, you know, I was kind of surprised that like, oh, wait, I thought this remake was like known as being just an overall like leaps and bounds better than the original. And the, the most infamous flaw of the original was the voice acting. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's improved, but. I mean, no, no offense to the voice actors, but they could have done a a much better job. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's not bad, but it's not great either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, exactly. So it's it's weird. And, and the the actual dialogue itself isn't that great. It's not always believable. Um, it's it's kind of cheesy at times. Right. But you know, it's it's, it's I guess supposed to be sort of. Uh, in a way inspired by like B movie sort of acting. And I guess if you think about it that way, it sort of, it, it kind of comes through. Um, it's like, like I said, it's, it's not terrible. It's not great, but you know, it is what it is. So yeah. And there's not a ton of it. Like we discussed yeah. this off the air. There's not a ton of cutscenes. you know, you got the, the intro is probably the longest cutscene if, if I'm not mistaken. And then you just got a few sprinkled throughout the game. So it's, it's not like you have to sit through these long cutscenes with bad voice acting. So it's not too bad. And even the, uh, the ending itself, I think there is actually no voice acting in the ending. Uh, right. So it's just, you know, just a 
you just watch the characters fly away. But, but anyway, to get into the gameplay. So of course, this is a uh, game's controlled from a third-person perspective. It uses the fixed camera angles, angles like we talked about, and this this brought about the uh, sort of infamous tank controls that many people do not like. Yeah, you know what? I I want to uh, you you did a really good job in last month's episode explaining uh, tank controls when you guys were talking about Indigo Prophecy, mm-hmm. and I I I would love for you to kind of share your explanation of that because I think that tank controls it's it's almost like one of those buzzwords that just gets kind of thrown around that kind of starts losing its meaning, and I think during the Indigo Prophecy segment last month you really touched on what tank controls actually are you know what i mean because people just kind of use the term very loosely it's almost like uh when we call every game that has exploration a metroidvania or something like it's just a it becomes a buzzword you know and and so if you could just explain (laughs) what tank controls actually are and and you know their place in this game that would be awesome okay so tank controls are when you control your character relative to the direction that the character is facing. In most 3D games, you you control the character relative to how the camera is positioned. So, I guess for example, in most games, when you press up on your D-pad or analog stick, you're going to move like away from the camera. And if you move left or if you press left or right, you're going to move left or right based on how the camera is facing. But with tank controls. If you press up, you're going to move forward. Your character's going to move forward regardless of which direction they're facing. Right. He could, he could walk straight towards the camera, right. left, right, away from the camera. If right. you press up, he's just going to walk the direction he's facing. Exactly. And, of course, if you press left or right, your character's going to turn to their left or right. They're going to pivot in that direction regardless of how the camera's facing. Um, and this is really a product of these pre-rendered backgrounds and the reason I like the tank controls for these type of games um, is that, you know, of course, when you're moving throughout the environment, the cameras are all fixed. Um, so when you move from one end of a room to the other, the camera angle suddenly changes. And if this game does not have tank controls, when that transition happens, it sort of, it's, it changes like, I guess to get technical, it sort of changes like the axes. And uh, it, it really kind of screws up the controls. Like, all of a sudden, if you, if you were moving to the right, you might be moving in a completely different direction once that camera angle changes. But if, it game, if the game has tank controls, you're always going to be moving in the same direction because even when the camera angle changes, because the camera angle is irrelevant. You're always, you move based on the direction that the character is facing. Right. And... I can understand people's frustration with it because I know a lot of people do not like tank controls, and uh, you know I, I it's, I'm sure it's unintuitive at first and it's confusing and a lot of people want to move like like a lot of other 3D games move. But I, personally, I always feel like for a game that has these fixed camera angles, this is that control scheme is really the way to go, just because you don't have those awkward transitions. I think it's just a matter of getting used to it. A lot of people, I think. Maybe don't have the patience for it. I know the uh, HD remaster actually has an alternative control scheme where you will move based on the the camera's direction and not um, how the character is facing. You can choose not to use the tank controls. 
And did you, have you tried that? What do you think of it? I tried it a little bit just to see how it felt and it, it seemed kind of floaty to me. I, I didn't really like it. Like the tank controls have a real nice weight to them in my opinion. Okay. Um, it, it's like you're kind of moving around with the analog stick and if you see people playing the remaster, yeah, the remaster and uh, using the, um, the alternative control scheme, when they're even just walking down a straight hallway, you'll see them sort of moving to the left and right, like sort of like these very um, almost spastic looking shifts every now and then. It's just because of how kind of like floaty it is. I don't know. It's uh, I can understand people preferring to use that control scheme, but I, like I said, I, I've been playing survival horror games since I was a young teenager. I played, right. I played a lot of these games. The tank controls are second nature to me. So I, uh, so yeah, I, I prefer that control scheme for these type of games, but you know, I can, I can see the frustration with it. Totally fair, man. Uh, I don't know. Do you have an opinion on it? Or? I tend to kind of agree with you. I, I don't really have a problem with them. Like you're, what you're saying about the, how they work with the fixed camera angles is a really good insight. And I, I, I agree. Like I can't disagree with that. Um, it makes sense. I'm not, I'm not a hater or a lover of tank controls. Like they don't bother me. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. So, sorry. That's a really bland <laughs> opinion of them, but that that's just kind of how I feel. Yeah, so fair enough. So we'll jump into, he's talking about the combat. So it seems actually kind of interesting. If you want to just think of it as, as an action game, because you actually, I think you're encouraged a lot of times to avoid the enemies. Um, cause you know, ammo is limited, uh, healing items are limited. And sometimes it's the better option is to just run past the enemies and it, and in the remake, it kind of is. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a second, but, mm -hmm. um, the combat, it can be, um, challenging because, you know, you can't move while and shoot at the same time. It's, uh, it, it's, I think it's in a way deliberately, uh, sort of difficult just you know it's, it's a horror game it's you know if you you know when resident evil 4 came along and a lot of other games have sort of copied that style but it made you a lot more formidable and right. those games are less less scary i won't say less intense because i played resident evil 4 very recently and i found it very intense actually um but there's much more emphasis on combat as opposed to um puzzle solving and the collecting of key items and things. So yeah, the combat it's, it's fairly sparse in this game, but I don't know if I want to say it's particularly well done. I mean, of course I enjoy it because I, I probably don't look at this game as objectively as, as I could. Cause this is a, you know, one of my favorite games of all time. Right. Um, well, this is the intro of, of also another like kind of, um, a unique control scheme for the combat because you're actually pulling one of the triggers to kind of aim your weapon and then no. hitting yeah. whatever button it is to shoot. So you're not just, you can't just run around and run around and run and gun. You have to stop. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you can't move. You have to stop, line up your shot, then shoot. And it just, like you said, it kind of slows you down. And you, you, if you're an in, in, if you're in an intense situation, like trying to do that, line up your shot, you know, that it plays into the whole like panic, panicky nature of, right. of trying to do that. So, 
and especially when you have certain enemies that are just like closing in on you and you're you know you're, you got to press the button you got to sort of pivot around and line up the shot and uh right. you sometimes you, you can't really do it fast enough you'll take a hit because of it and uh you know it's 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 part of the game i don't really know what else to say about it yeah it's, uh, it is what it is but i guess another uh important thing uh is in this game is the uh limited inventory space which plays a very large factor in how you play the game. And it's interesting to note that uh, Jill actually has more inventory space than Chris, which which is why most people consider Chris's playthrough to be harder. Um, Jill, oh, okay. Jill, Jill has eight inventory slots. Chris has six. And in this game, you know, you, you want to carry around one or two weapons, ammo for those weapons, maybe one or two healing items, and then you need whatever keys and key items you have on you, and you really just don't have enough inventory space for all of it. Right. Um, creates a lot of a lot of backtracking. There's a lot of items you won't be able to pick up, you know, the first time you see them. Um, which is a good segue into the next point, which are the storage boxes in the game. Which, uh, you know, of course you you can drop items into these boxes, and there's several of them throughout the game and fortunately they all seem to be magically linked so if you put items into one box you can retrieve them out of another box right and i think the original like when they were originally making this game for the playstation they were originally not going to do that oh wow they found out it made it too difficult and actually i don't know if this is on the gamecube release but on the playstation or i'm sorry the uh hd remaster uh there's actually a, a difficulty mode called real survival mode or something like that where they actually do that oh wow and i i played that mode briefly uh it's you know it's i'm sure it, you could probably end up drop I, I could see myself dropping an item in like the first storage chest in the game and then needing it at the end of the game and have to do a ton of backtracking uh i'm sure right. that that's something that would happen to me but uh i, I i'm glad they uh made them linked because it it helps it, it makes the game a lot uh more playable um, so this game is very puzzle heavy as well um, so I'm trying to think of some of the more interesting puzzles in the game I mean some of them can actually you can actually die from some of the puzzles if you screw them up which is interesting like there's one where if you try to get the item you need in the room it'll sort of release this poisonous gas or something and you know uh, what you're supposed to do is move these statues onto the uh I guess they're sort of like vents on the floor and you have to move them in a, like a certain order because when you push one over the vent, like the others will move. So you have to kind of do it in a certain order. There's a lot of puzzles like these littered throughout the game. And the puzzle aspect of the game is something I've always liked. Um, I like these sort of puzzles in the game there. It makes you wonder what the architect of this mansion was thinking when he <laughs> built <laughs> some of these rooms but um it makes the game more interesting so uh, so uh, i'm fine with it right and there's a lot of again it makes, as far as wondering what the, the architect was thinking sometimes you need certain uh items to unlock doors uh, i was a friend of mine was actually watching me play this game and he was like, I, I forget what I did in the game, but um, he was like, man, that's a that's a lot of work to go through just to open one door. 
Right. And uh, I was like, that yeah. sums up why I, why I, <laughs> that okay. sums it up for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I know on this version, there's like to open one sp- specific door to get like to like behind the mansion, sort of like this, this trail that leads to the residence behind the mansion, sort of like a backyard area. Mm-hmm. There's, you have to find these four, the game calls them death masks and you place the death mask on these statues which lowers this coffin thing down and there's a some kind of medallion or I might be getting my facts mixed up but anyway there's I think there's a yeah there's an item that that gives you and uh that that's you have to use that item to open the door and it's like that's a lot of work just to get to the backyard you know to do this every time and, but yeah like, definitely and and some of the items Correct me if I'm wrong. You you'll get an item and think you have something, but you actually have to examine the items yes. to reveal that it's yeah. a, that it's a key item or something. So that's something that's when you're in the uh, menu. You can equip, combine, or examine an item. Yeah. And a lot of them you have to do that to reveal that it's a key or a part of it is a key or something. Right. I'm actually glad you missed that because I neglected to put that in my notes here. But yeah, that's a pretty important part of the game is uh, examining the items you pick up because, like you said, you'll I, there's a I think the item you actually get from what I was talking about where you place the four death masks is a book or you find that book somewhere and I think but there, there's there's a couple of books in the game you have to actually examine them to find that there's a key on the back of the book and the key, the key of course unlocks more doors and uh, yeah there's several items throughout the game you have to examine just to actually get any use out of them mm-hmm. and uh, so Here's the last uh, thing I want to talk about here will be the overall difficulty of the game. Now, I know you said you played this game briefly um, and, and you know, didn't really uh, continue past a certain point. Did you feel like right. it was um, very difficult in the start or did you did you die and that, and that sort of turned you off from it? Or? No, I would. I, dude, when I say I played briefly, uh, you, like you didn't play that briefly, briefly. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, but no, I, I like I killed the first zombie in the hallway, and and um, the remake uh, gives you a, a difficulty setting where the original game didn't do that. If I'm if I'm correct, uh, I think you're right. Yeah. So of course I picked the easier one, and um. Uh-huh. You know, I didn't notice any kind of like, oh, my God, this is so hard. But the problem with the game for me was it, it's more of the, you know, the puzzle solving, the backtracking, mm-hmm. the the what the hell am I supposed to do next <laughs> moments? You know what I mean? Like yeah. that. That's what that's what makes what, okay. what kills me with these kind of games, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I uh, play this. Like I said, I've been playing this on the uh, PS4 recent HD remaster, and uh, playing it on the normal difficulty, I feel like the start of the game is actually very difficult because you know, you're you're thrown into this mansion and you don't really have any weapons, you have very little ammo, you don't have any healing items in there, and the zombies on normal difficulty can actually kill you in just a few hits, like maybe maybe three or four hits. So it doesn't take much, and it's kind of overwhelming a little bit. Um, but once I got later into the game, you know, you find better weapons. You, I found, I felt like I had more than enough ammo. I had, I mean, I had tons of herbs and first aid sprays tucked away in the uh, storage box. And okay. so you know, I feel like the difficulty def- definitely tapers off. 
And now, did, did you find yourself kind of developing techniques for when you were trying to evade and avoid certain enemy types? Because that's what I noticed when I was watching a lot of, like, uh, YouTube Let's Plays or playthroughs is that, you know, some of these guys had, like, little swooping maneuvers mm -hmm. that they would do, depending on, like, if, if they were in a hallway, they would kind of make the character move a certain way to, to, to evade zombies. Or Like, did you find yourself kind of... Or like even over the years, have you developed like techniques to to kind of glide past the the enemies, or do you just like run like hell and hope you get lucky? Yeah, pretty much. I just try to run past them. I, I've seen people on YouTube doing the same thing, but I've I've kind of had a hard time using those techniques myself. Usually, I try to actually kill all the enemies. And, oh, okay. Um, actually, this is probably a good segue to start talking about the enemies. Um, in particular, the zombies in the game. Of course, you know everybody knows how the zombies in Resident Evil are. You know they're slow, they're dumb. They, you know, they they can get you if you're not careful. But you know they're not too much of a threat. Right. And uh, but what the remake introduces were crimson heads, the crimson head zombies. And what this is is when you kill a zombie in Resident Evil, in the specifically the remake version, um, it, unless it, unless you destroy the head or you set them on fire, um, later on they will actually come back to life as a stronger, more aggressive, faster crimson head zombie. Right. And <laughs> sounds wonderful. Yeah. The implication <laughs> of the it really kind of turns the game on its head because when I if I would play the PS one version, assuming I had the ammo to do it, I would kill every zombie in my path. Right. And this game, I'm a little more careful because I'm like, you know. I, Sometimes I kind of know the game pretty well, so if I'm like, okay, I don't think I'm going to have to come through this hallway again, it'll be safe to kill the zombies. I, you know, I might kill them and never go in that hallway again. Hmm. Um, or maybe a specific room that you don't have to enter again. Um, but sometimes you're kind of forced to take out a zombie that's in your path, and uh, you know, you maybe an hour or so later, you have to traverse back through that area and that, that dead zombie sort of jumps back up and he's chasing you down and those crimson heads are tough They'll, they can kill you in a few hits there was actually one one uh, one, one time uh, it, was, it was funny that, that it happened there's a hallway in the game uh, with some stairs um, leading down and the, the stairs lead right next to those stairs is a save room so I killed a zombie in that upstairs portion I came down to the save room to grab the uh, the lighter and the fuel canteen, which is what you can use to set the corpse on fire, and uh, you don't have to worry about the crimson head later. As I grabbed those items, I went back up the stairs, and, and as soon as the camera angle shifted to show like what was at the top of the stairs, it was that crimson head running straight down at me. Uh, <laughs> and he, 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 I tried to turn around and run. He killed me, uh, but uh, it was kind of a funny moment for me. But uh, So yeah, the crimson heads really kind of turned this game on its head uh no no pun intended but right uh but uh yeah it's it's kind of brilliant the way they really make you uh second guess killing the zombies you know because before they were just they, they were just fodder you know and now they're yeah and again taking taking what is a remake to the next level and not not mm -hmm. only just upgrading the graphics and and putting a, a new polish on the game but adding this mechanic that completely changes your play style mm -hmm. because it makes you just think that much deeper about what you're doing and what you're going to do yeah so, so we also have the the mutated dogs you know they're just 
they're just dogs that'll kind of lunge at you and they're they're annoying they're a pain to take out but uh mm-hmm. yeah they're 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 just they're annoying dogs so <laughs> <laughs> um you also have the the giant spiders and i think i've, I've made it kind of known i don't know if necessarily on the podcast but i've made it known in other places that i'm i don't really like the giant spiders in games they kind of they, they kind of freak me out um they don't bother me too much in resident evil um it Typically in third-person games in general, I don't have a big problem. But first-person games, they kind of freak me out. And I, I remember posting in the forum for System Shock 2 about the spiders. And those are probably the worst spiders in any game I think I've encountered in terms of, like, freaking me out. I don't know if I have some sort of slight arachnophobia or what, but uh, just... Uh, I'm kind of curious. Yeah. We're getting a little off topic, but I'm a little curious <laughs> if they kind of bothered you that much in System Shock 2. No, and actually, like spiders and stuff. I uh, no, like I, I I know we were talking about limbo at one point, and you were saying that the spiders in that game were particularly bothersome for you. And I I get it, I understand it. But well, j- uh, just to correct you there. We were talking about uh, unfinished swan. Okay, and it's funny you mentioned. Lim- I was actually just playing limbo, and yeah, and the spider in that game didn't really bother me. But it kind of goes back to what I was saying. It's really the first person games where they sort of bother me. I just don't really like them in right. my face like that. But um, I'm sorry, you can continue. <laughs> no, I, didn't mean to, right. I didn't interrupt you there, but <laughs> no, it's 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 that's true. It, it was unfinished one, but pretty much same principle. But yeah, that is a first person game. Yeah, no, I I. There are certain enemies that do creep me out. Again, I was playing Fallout New Vegas last week, and there's these, like, gecko enemies that are, like, really disturbing looking that are, like, almost scary and and unnerving, and just seeing them gets under your skin. But for me, it's not just, it's not spiders, but it's funny because, like, for somebody like you who loves survival horror, (laughs) you know, spiders are a pretty common enemy. Yeah, yeah. Not that there's a ton of, like, first-person survival horror games, but they're they're out there. I mean, we just named freaking four examples. So, yeah, that's kind of funny. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I have to be, like, I'm always kind of worried they're going to try to throw that at me, uh, the the spiders. I'm like... It's like you don't always have to have the spiders in the horror games. There are other scary <laughs> creatures. Don't, don't don't tap into my my phobias, right? But uh, anyway, to, to get off, to get away from from that. Uh, <laughs> um, we also have crows and snakes in the game. They're more of like minor annoyances, and I wouldn't even really consider them full fledged enemies. They just sort of around to annoy you. Um, however, the the hunters are the game in the game, which are these sort of larger. Uh, they're they're almost like scary looking teenage mutant ninja turtles, uh, mm. without the shells. They have these. Uh, they're about that size. They have these claws, and they can. They're they're probably a couple of the toughest enemies in the game. Um. And you also have these. I'm not sure if they have a name, but there's these insect creatures you encounter at the towards the end of the game, uh, who are kind of kind of creepy they'll uh sort of chase they kind of come out of the vents and seem like they chase you from room to room sometimes and uh yeah it's always glad i have my shotgun handy for those type of enemies just to take them out pretty quick right and to talk about the bosses one thing i was thinking about um when you were talking about metal gear solid 
last month is how sometimes you have different you can take a different approach to to the bosses like you there sometimes there are multiple ways to take out a boss and you can sort of do that in this game too there are certain certain bosses have multiple ways to uh you know take them out okay that's cool that's good that's yeah. good to hear i mean one of my one of my gripes with this game and and the series or the genre even is that sometimes it's just like I feel like there's some lumbering bullet sponge in front of me and mm-hmm. I don't even know if I'm hurting it or, you know, what am or, you know, what am I supposed to do? Just unload and hope I'm doing damage kind of thing. But, uh, there is a particular boss like that and we'll talk about that in just a second, but, okay. Um, I guess the first boss you encounter in the game is its name is yawn, but it's a giant snake. You mm-hmm. first, you first encounter it in the attic area of the mansion. And what's interesting is that, you actually don't even have to fight this boss. So like you have to go into the room because there's a, a key item you need, but you can just, once the snake appears, you can just run over to the item, grab it and leave the room and don't even have to fight the snake at all. No, oh, cool. Um, however, you do have to fight him later in the game in a, like a library room and you actually have to kill him there. Um, and he's, he's a little tough, but he's not too bad. Um, there's a shark, uh, maybe about halfway through the game that goes by the name of Neptune. Um, it's not really a boss fight. Um, it's more like a puzzle, right? Yeah, a little bit like a puzzle. Like you, uh, mm. you sort of you end up draining the water where it's swimming, and it's sort of laying in this maybe about ankle deep uh, area, like pool of water. And there's this like electric terminal thing. You have to push it into the water and then turn it on, and it ends up electrocuting the uh, the shark. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't tried it. I, I almost want to say you might be able to actually shoot the shark because it's laying right there. You might even be able to shoot it to death. But uh, I haven't tried that. I'm not sure about that. But I want to say you can. But. So the next actual boss is uh, the Plant 42, which is this giant plant that's hanging from the ceiling of this large room. And this is another boss that you have multiple ways of taking out. Uh, you could just run into the room and shoot it to death, um, which is, you know, the upfront approach. You can also, right. there, I think there's some journal entries that tell you about a chemical you can make and inject into its roots that will just kill it outright. So you can actually go that route as well. You can uh, go into this little chemical room. It's, sort, it's a puzzle in, in and of itself. You combine these chemicals, chemicals together in a certain order to make this new chemical called V-Jolt, and you go into this completely different room, inject into the plant's roots, and that will actually kill it. You don't have to fight it at all. Cool. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I will say, actually, playing it on the PS4, you know, I was uh, looking through the trophy list, and there were certain ways to beat the game that were challenges I hadn't attempted before, so I attempted them uh, in this version. One of them was a uh, knife-only run. Okay. And some of the bosses are really tricky, particularly the the plant 42 was the hardest boss in the game because it's really hard to get a hit on them. So trying to fight that boss with just a knife was not easy. Right. Uh, is it true that um, playing as Chris, the knife attacks are stronger than it, than in the jail campaign? You know, that's just something I heard somewhere. I've always heard that. I've heard that Chris is a little better with the physical attacks and he can take a little more damage. But I personally never really noticed it myself i mean it's it's supposedly true i mean and it probably is but i uh it's not something i've 
I, if, if it is true, I don't think it's that big of a difference because, I, like I said, I didn't really notice it. Um, so I guess the next boss we have is the, uh, his name is Black Tiger, which is not a Your tiger. Your favorite. Yeah, well, not, not a tiger at all. It's a spider. <laughs> uh, like I said, the, he didn't, doesn't really bother me too much because, uh, you know, third person games with spiders don't bug me, but they're still, mm. it's still, cre- I still find them creepy, but. Right. Uh, but, you know, it's no, no big deal in this game, but uh, it's just, it's like kind of like the spiders you see before, except bigger. Um, and this is another one. You actually don't even have to fight this one. You can actually, the, the door you have to go through is actually covered in web, spider webs. You can actually just uh, cut the spider web off the door and just walk walk out the other side. That's uh, awesome. You don't have to fight him. But, uh, um, so, yeah, he's, he's not too tough of a boss. You just shoot him until he dies or just run past him, whatever you want to do. Then we have Lisa Trevor, who, this is, there was a whole story arc added into uh, the remake version. This wasn't in the original PlayStation version at all. Lisa Trevor is just a, uh, she was a, I, I think she was a young girl whose family was essentially experimented on by Umbrella, and she's sort of like this mutated zombie thing now. And we talked about bullet sponges. You actually, you see Lisa Trevor a few times throughout the game. She sort of stalks you. You can't kill her. No matter how many how many times you shoot her, she will not die. So that oh, could wow. be that could be frustrating because you might not know that you're trying to kill her and you're pumping all the ammo you have into her and it's not having an effect. So, do do you know or do you think that uh, being that this was added for the remake, that that's something that they kind of um, aped from Resident Evil Three with Nemesis doing that to you? Um, as like a throwback to that when they maybe. added it back I mean, that's, in? I never thought about that, but that's a good point. You know, uh, Nemesis is a very similar enemy in Resident Evil 3, and uh, a lot of people like like that that sort of boss mechanic of this sort of unstoppable uh, killing machine, like, stalking you, and that's that's a good point. They, uh, I think there's, they could, may, may very well have uh, taken that from Resident Evil 3. Hmm. I never really thought about it, though. It's a good point. Um, you do, however, there is sort of like a little puzzle fight towards the end of the game where you encounter Lisa Trevor and you have to push these statues off of this ledge, which there are chains attached to, from the statues to this sort of coffin thing. And when you push the statues off, the coffin lid opens. She sees her, I'm assuming it's her mother's corpse. Um, you see some diary entries from her. She's kind of like looking for her mother. Um, so I think that's her mother's corpse. She grabs the mother's skull and just for some reason jumps off the ledge. I'm not really sure what that's about. But mm. but anyway, that's that's pretty much how you get through that fight. And then there's, last but not least, there's a tyrant who you fight twice. Um, and he's another kind of bullet sponge fight. Um, yeah, you fight the first time you fight him is in the lab area, and you just have to shoot him until he falls, and then he pops up on the helipad, and you have to either shoot him enough times until somebody throws the rocket launcher down, which you can use to kill him in one shot. I think if you let the uh, timer run down, because the uh, mansion is on a self-destruct sequence, and uh, I think if you let, if the timer gets down to like thirty seconds. They'll throw down the uh, the uh, rocket launcher anyway. You can just use that to kill them. Um, but yeah, just pre- this tyrant's kind of a standard. Uh, 
at least for the classic Resident Evil games, the standard, uh, you know, final boss fight. Uh, And Nemesis kind of serves that purpose as well. He's eventually just a a fancy tyrant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of a recurring. uh, Yeah. A recurring type of character throughout the whole series. I believe all the classic Resident Evil games have some sort of tyrant like boss fight, except for maybe Code Veronica. I was actually thinking of in Code Veronica. There's a fight with um, a tyrant on on the airplane. Right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. That's as far as I got in that game. Actually, that's why I was thinking about it. So yeah, so, yeah that's uh, that's about too. that's about halfway through the game. Yeah, he he stalks you quite a bit um, throughout the game. He's almost kind of like Nemesis in that way. But mm-hmm. I think the final final boss fight isn't actually that that uh, that tyrant so, in Code oh, Veronica. Okay. But that, that's a good point. He does show up. There is a tyrant-like creature in Code Veronica. Hmm. So, I guess I'll spend a few minutes talking about kind of comparing the original PlayStation version to the remake. Um, so, you know, obviously the, the graphics and sound were much improved in the remake version. Uh, it's We talked about that already. It's no, no contest, really, there. Right, right. Um, the, what's interesting is we, we talked about how, like, with the Crimson Heads, they added, um, that, that was a mechanic they added to sort of throw even like experienced players of Resident Evil off guard with the remake. Um, right. And, and they did that a lot with this, actually. They, they, they added a, a, a ton of new things and changed a lot of things around. So there are actually new locations in the remake. Like there's, um, I'm not even sure what all new rooms are added. There's a lot of new rooms and hallways and entirely new locations. And, a lot of the um, key item locations were moved around, and the puzzles are different. Um, there are new, entirely new key items added to just to make you backtrack even more, I guess. Right. But, uh, so it's just a lot of, like I said, a lot of things that were thrown in to even throw experienced players of the uh, 32-bit version off guard. Yeah, and how did you? I mean, I would imagine you would you would enjoy that. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but as someone who is um, experienced with the game, you just don't you don't want to just uh, again play the 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 same game with a a little you know with better graphics, right? right. So yeah, it's I guess. Probably, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's really cool. They did that, and yeah. that's that's you know really the point is that they uh, it's not just a graphical overhaul. Uh, you know, they they really put a lot of. Uh, a lot of effort into uh, changing things, and I and I would say, in my opinion, improving the overall experience uh, in terms of like how everything's laid out and the the design of the mansion and the layout of everything. Um. So I said before that they added the Lisa Trevor story arc to the game. I I think I read before that this was intended to be in the original release, the PlayStation release, but uh was scrapped for whatever reason, you know, maybe time constraints or whatever, but Hmm. you find out that Lisa Trevor is, like I said, her family was, I guess, living in the mansion. I'm not sure, but they were basically being experimented on, you know, her, her parents were killed. Um, and she was, you know, uh, she's like this mutated, uh, scary zombie creature lady or whatever (laughs) you want to think about that. It's, It's funny when you actually play the, um, when you actually fight her in like the sort of boss fight part, um, these tentacle things sort of sprout out of her back, which reminded me a lot of Resident Evil Four and the uh, like 
I think they were called the Los Ganados. That sort of sort of the same mm-hmm. thing. And I've heard that that was sort of a precursor to that. Oh, but okay. I'm not not entirely sure about that, but it does seem similar. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's sort of where that came from uh, in Resident Evil Four, maybe possibly. But, uh, and there were some minor changes to the gameplay. We talked about the Crimson Heads, and there were actually defensive items were added to the remake, which you can pick up like daggers, with these little daggers. And if you're playing as Chris, there'll be like a you can have like these flashbang grenades. If you're playing as Jill, there'll be like a stun gun sort of thing. But basically, what happens if you get grabbed by a zombie or something? You can uh, it's a sort of like a defensive item you can use to get them off of you and not take damage. Mm-hmm. And the original game didn't have that, so it's kind of nice little uh, get out of jail free card, I guess, you can, if you want to think of it that way. But uh, mm-hmm. they also added the 180 degree turn, um, which was actually introduced in Resident Evil 3, if I'm not mistaken. But we talked about the tank controls, how when you're turning, you kind of have to slowly pivot around. Um, and this sort of makes it so you can just press back and. Uh, the run button to just quickly turn around um in 180 degrees yeah very useful it is very useful it's a very welcome addition to this game and you know there's mm-hmm. a lot of little things like that they added but uh you will not talk about every single thing but and just talk a little bit about sort of the legacy that this game has left you know of course the original playstation release came out and it was a little bit of a phenomenon I want to say I was I was kind of young when it first came out I don't think I was really that aware of when the first Resident Evil came out but um, obviously it spawned many sequels there's a lot of spin-off games we even have a long-running movie series um, yeah what do you think about the movies you know I haven't actually seen any of them for uh, real yeah oh man they're, I, they're good if you are if they? You, uh, well uh, no to say they're good that's in that's inaccurate I enjoy them is what I okay. meant to say I I've heard mixed <laughs> things so I'm yeah. not sure. Uh, I don't know. It's just, I don't know why I've never been that interested in it. You think I would be, um, you know, yeah, a, yeah. I'm surprised movie that... movie series about one of my favorite game series, but, uh, I don't know. I, <sighs> if you go into it, th- just, just knowing that you're going to see like kind of a crummy B movie mm-hmm. and, and don't expect too much from them, then I, I think you'll enjoy them. I think I actually caught, I don't know if I watched it on YouTube or if I happened to see it on TV, but there was like this, it was at the end of one of the movies, I think, one of the sequels, and uh, I think there's like a fist fight between one of the characters and Nemesis or something like that. Okay, I don't, it's Uh, possible, I don't remember that specifically. I don't know, it just seems so dumb, (laughs) I don't know, but maybe that's the point, I don't know, but I'll have to check check those out sometime. A lot of it is dumb, man, just just go in knowing that and you'll you'll probably enjoy them more. So, the 2002 remake was made in an attempt for Shinji Mikami, who is sort of the like the lead designer uh, of these games. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was sort of to fully realize his vision for what he wanted this game to be. Um, I guess there were a lot of limitations on the PlayStation itself, so maybe he couldn't quite make the game he wanted to make. So you know, the remake came along, and he sure. I, I, hopefully that was uh, what he intended it to be, but. When the remake came out, despite its good critical reception, it actually did not sell very well at all. Right. And this was probably because it was released on the GameCube, like, as an exclusive, you know, which was, 
the GameCube, I would say, was probably the uh, the least selling of the big three consoles at the time. Mm-hmm. And then when most people think of the Nintendo console, it's going to be the more family-friendly console. Maybe most a lot of games that are targeted more towards your younger gamers. Right. So you have this very mature-rated game uh, come out, and you know, it's I think it's it's not that surprising that I don't think it it sold very well. Um, but what this what what uh the implications of this is that it uh yeah the poor cells prompted Capcom to go with a more action oriented approach with Resident Evil Four and the later sequels, which was actually very successful. Um, but so like we said at the beginning of this podcast, the uh, the HD version was released earlier this year and actually sold very well. Um, it was I think Capcom said it was like their best-selling digital release to date and uh you know so of course this prompted capcom to make the uh resident evil zero hd version which is supposed to come out i think early next year which is cool for me as a big fan of the series that they're doing another uh hd remaster for zero zero is actually my least favorite in the series but i still enjoy it but you know it's cool Mm -hmm. that it's happening and of course, the bigger news is that we uh, got a we're getting a full fledged remake of two now. Yeah, that's pretty cool too. I think I think other than Code Veronica, I think Resident Evil Two is the furthest one that I got into of mm-hmm. the original series. You know, before four and five. Um, I I think I just want to throw out there that um, Resident Evil Two and Three. Uh, were released on the GameCube, but just so people know, these are not like remade versions of the games. They're actually just ports right. of the Dreamcast versions of the games. So right. They can be like kind of hard to find and expensive. So if you could play the Dreamcast version or the PS1 versions, you're not getting any kind of major upgrade by getting the GameCube versions of two and three. Yeah, there were like there were no improvements made as far as I know. There were just straight ports and, right uh, for, for that reason i think they're kind of not very well regarded just because they didn't really put any effort into them they just uh yeah it was almost GameCube. like a, a you know oh this re you know resident evil one remake did did gang well not gangbusters but like <laughs> you know um it was it almost seemed like a cash in like let's put the whole series on gamecube sure, or yeah. it, like throw the dreamcast versions out there um, now I'm wondering just to kind of to backtrack a little into the 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 implications of this not doing well and kind of spawning the more action oriented um, uh, you know focus of of Resident Evil Four. Um, I gotta wonder from your perspective. Uh, you know, Resident Evil Four is regarded as one of the greatest games of all time. I love it. I've mm-hmm. completed it multiple times, and maybe that just goes to show, like, where my tastes are, or, like, what I can handle as far as you know, um, degree of uh, buy-in to to actual gaming, and do do I want something more brainless or whatever? But we've talked on the um. We talked on the show before about how Resident Evil Four is kind of the the archetype for third person shooters to this day. Mm-hmm. You know, like over the shoulder per, third person shooters are still based on the mechanics of Resident Evil Four. So, it, I I I 
imagine it w- it's kind of bittersweet for you. Like, uh, do you wish they'd had kept on making uh, games like the original trilogy, or or are you glad that they kind of tried something different and gave us Resident Evil Four? Um, it's pretty much just like you said. It's it's a bittersweet thing because I, like I said, I played Resident Evil Four pretty recently, and and I think I even mentioned on the forums I thought it was one of the greatest games ever made. Um, mm-hmm. So, of course, I love that game. I think it was really well done. And I even enjoy 5 and 6 to an extent. I, I don't think they're neither one are as good as 4. Um, 5 was actually a really good game to play in co-op. It's, um, trying to play it you know, so single player is not the best experience. And I right. played six a couple of times in co-op as well and not as good as five, but, uh, it's, it's, you know, still enjoyable. There's a lot of, you know, fans of the classic series who they hate the newer games. And I think it's mostly because they don't really have an open mind, you know, to, uh, to sort of take them for what they are. You mm-hmm. know, it's like these games sort of killed the classic series. So, you know, I hate them, you know, that, that sort of thing. And in a way, I can, yeah, it's it's kind of a shame that I feel like that we don't see those kind of games uh, like the older ones anymore. Um, but at the same time, you know, we get good action games um, like like 4. So, and 4, like I said, 4, it, it sort of revolutionized the third-person shooter with its uh, that over-the-shoulder camera view that so many games have uh, have adopted uh since then so yeah it's it's kind of you know it's a double-edged sword for me you know i Mm -hmm. i enjoy both so i'm i'm glad to uh you know be able to play both but you know i guess there's no way that capcom would make resident evil games in both styles so i don't know i've heard that they're gonna try to go back to the horror roots with seven so i don't we'll have to see how that turns out but uh, see yeah, that'll be interesting. Goes, but, uh, uh, right, because they keep kind of just the, they can go kind of back and forth or in two different directions. On the one hand, Resident Evil Four is one of the most loved, uh, best-selling action games. It's it's on every single platform. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, as we said, Resident Evil Remake HD sold incred- so incredibly well that they're going to re-release other older style games uh, on the HD, you know, as HD remasters. So it'll be interesting. I didn't even know anything about Seven until you just mentioned it right now. Uh, after the poor critical reception of Six, which which I didn't play, but it seems like you enjoyed it. Um, seven, it sounds like it would shape up to be a really interesting, uh, game depending on what direction they go with it. Or if they try to blend the two, uh, things in like a new creative way, like still have that action-y gameplay with some, maybe some really tough inventory management or, you know, harder puzzles. Like they, they could really do something revolutionary again you know right and i i feel like that's what they're going to try to do is trying to make a blend I, I don't see them going back to the tank controls and fixed camera angles i just don't think that's where modern gaming is right now right um, i don't i don't think that would be received too well by the by the uh gaming community at large you know of course they're old school resident evil fans would love it but uh i, don't, I just i don't see that happening so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they end up doing with that. And 
And yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it and see see what they can come up with. Yeah, they would have to. I, you're right about like fixed camera angles and the tank controls being something akin to like, let's say somebody made a first person shooter where you couldn't aim up and down. And <laughs> right, it was like right. back to doom. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, again, a product of its time or whatever. It, I think they would just kind of have to come up with a creative way to integrate something that is like that that gives you the feeling of it but has the you know the modern control schemes and that's why i'm not a video game designer i couldn't exactly. think of a good yeah. way to do that but me either we we see this you know we see game franchises um you know improving on their like metal gear solid 5 is a perfect example of how you know they they brought those they still have the same kind of stealth mechanics and, and the feel that you're used to playing a Metal Gear Solid game, but they made the controls like up to modern standards mm -hmm. in, a, in a really brilliant way. So it would be cool if the Resident Evil uh, franchise could go in, in a good direction that way. So we'll have to see. Only, only time will tell. Yep. So I guess we'll wrap it up here. Um, I don't know if you have any, uh, any thoughts you want to, throw in uh uh yeah well i first man i just want to say thanks for kind of you know carrying the show uh, on your shoulders this month no i really appreciate it and i don't want to i make no bones about it that when we when we picked this game i you know we've talked about a lot how, how hosting these games kind of makes you come out of your comfort zone i've mentioned it a million times i would never play zelda games if it weren't for the 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 playthroughs so I mean, we scheduled this game months ago, like early in the year, we said we were going to do Resident Evil. Mm -hmm. So at the time I said, you know what, I'm going to take a, take another crack at it. I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? So, and you know, um, <laughs> I, I wanted to, and I'm sorry I didn't, but um, yeah, I just, I can appreciate what the game is. And I'm like a, a fan in that, like I'm cheerleading this kind of game design and it's, it's something different. It's something nostalgic. It's new. It's a, it's an example of what a, what a remake should be. And like a remake that the developers just knocked it out of the park in almost every respect. I can really appreciate that. And I don't want to, I don't want it to detract just because I didn't actually like sit and play through the game and, and struggle with the things that I knew I would struggle with, you know, that, mm -hmm. that I, that I don't appreciate those kind of things. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I, that's kind of my final thoughts. Yeah. Well, you know, every, you can't like everything, I guess. And if, you know, if, if, uh, you know, Resident Evil's not for you, that's, that's fair enough. But, uh, you know, I, I've said, this is one of my favorite games of all time. And I, I, I really totally agree with what you said about this being how a remake should be done. You know, it wasn't a, a simple lazy HD remaster like we uh, have been getting uh, from a lot of uh, publishers these days. Um, you know, they just get get a ton of these HD remasters from like last gen to this gen, right? And uh, you know, it remastering games that were already yeah. in HD. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, it wasn't just a graphical overhaul. It's they 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 really changed a lot of things and they. Uh, really i would say improve the game in pretty much every aspect um 
I, I guess I should say I'm not as familiar with the original. I think I've only beaten the original Resident Evil, the 32-bit version, once, and that was a long time ago. Um, oh, so I'm really okay. not as not as familiar with that one, honestly. So I can't really, I guess I can't honestly say that they improved it in every aspect when I'm not as familiar with it. But um, they probably did actually. But uh, um, but yeah, like like I said, this is uh, you know, one of my all-time favorites. I've beaten it probably as far as any like modern um non-multiplayer game. I've probably this is probably the game I've beaten the most. I've played through it the most times. Oh wow. Um which is a little surprising to me, but uh cuz it's it's it can be a little cumbersome at times, but you know, I love it. So that's yeah, yeah my thoughts on uh Resident Evil. So I think that about wraps it up. Awesome, dude. Um well, I guess I can go ahead and preview our our selection for November then sure. uh on the modern side. So, I have a death wish and I I want to pick games that nobody will play on platforms that nobody owns. So <laughs> so our modern game for November is uh, Gravity Rush for the PlayStation Vita, also known as, I believe, Gravity Days in, in the other region, regions. And in all seriousness, it's an awesome game. And in all seriousness, the PlayStation Vita is an amazing piece of hardware. Um, I love mine. I play it all the time. Uh, haters are going to hate and, you know, go drink your hater aid because, uh, Gravity Rush is an awesome game and the Vita is a great piece of hardware, like I said. So come on, join us, rfgeneration.com, go to the community playthroughs sub forum of our message board there and, uh, come and join me and Steven and Floyd next month as we play Gravity Rush on the Vita. We'll see you there. for another episode of the playcast thank you for listening and a very special thank you to everyone who joined the playthroughs remember to visit rfgeneration.com to participate in our playthroughs discuss the games or leave feedback about this podcast join us next month in our playthroughs for november where rich will be hosting the secret of evermore for the super nintendo and i will be hosting gravity rush also known as gravity days for the playstation vita Thank you as always for listening and we'll see you next time on the RF Generation Playcast.